Hello and welcome to episode 306 of The Crate and Crowbar. It is the 11th of December 2019. My name is Chris Thurston and joining me tonight is Alex Wiltshire. Hey, it's the double. It's the the double act you've always dreamed of. <laughs> have we never done a solo? <laughs> yeah, we have. Part, have. It's we? a very treasured memory of mine, at least Did one we? of them. We've done at least, at least one. At least one. Maybe two. Did we have like quite a wine... We did a whiny one, yeah. A whiny it, one. it got quite, as in the drink, got, 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 got quite the, sultry. Sultry. <laughs> it did. It got warm. Mmm, cozy. Well, we, we, yeah, this is a, we've home invaded Marsh's house because he's away at the moment. Yeah. In order to seize the podding, the apparatus, seize the means of podding production for ourselves, uh, and claim it. That is the most political statement I really want to make because I'm very conscious that we are recording this on the eve of the UK's general election and we're going to publish it on the aftermath of the UK's general election. And so we're full of hope right now. I mean, like everything couldn't be better. Hope's a real strong word, Alex. <laughs> uh, but people are either going to be, well, people are going to be going through what they're going through right now. And so I just don't really want to talk about it. Is that cool with you? Yeah, because, I'm more than happy. I'd, yeah. I'd almost forgotten it. Right. Yeah. I, I, I struggle too. It, it recurs like, um, like you haven't, you haven't put enough big enough barriers up on your um, social media then. I erected all my barriers for Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> and I let, I let, uh, other things slip through. Um, but that being as it may, let's talk about the news of interactive, uh, digital computer entertainment games. There has been some news. There has been. Hmm. Um, a game announcement this deep in December. Who do that? Um, Every it's, like it's the Game Awards, though, isn't it? It's is it? Yeah, coming up. Oh, I see. Yeah, so yeah, there was a, a Sony event and a Nintendo event, right? Oh, yeah, we're in that week this yeah, that week, is this about year that time. I see. Yeah, because uh, the reason I made that little that that did that tone of voice was because uh, this Friday, so the day this podcast is due to come out, is the one year anniversary of Hytos announcement, oh. which I deliberately planned for the week after all of that, so that we wouldn't get uh, so that Jeff Keighley wouldn't drive a big bus full of stuff all over my dreams he did that anyway but in a different way yeah oh yeah um but yeah so it, it long story short uh a lovely trailer for resident evil 3 mm. remake mm. uh which this has come up rather soon i thought so this is coming out in uh april it's coming out i i, I hadn't been paying quite enough attention yeah it's coming out in april, april yeah which is what, like a year after Resi 2? Pretty much. I think Resi 2 was February. Heck. Heck indeed. Um, it's, yeah, so it's, it's a remake of Resi 3 in the same way that this year's Resi 2 was a remake of Resi 2. Um, there's not much information other than the trailer, I believe, but as far as I know, it's like, it is a different game, but, you know, with the same story, which is essentially what they did for this yeah. Resi 2 as well, which. But that means that it's been in production for, a good while long, longer, one one probably can One would assume, assume, although I guess there could be some overlap because Resi 3 is set, is an immediate prequel to Resi 2. It's set in yeah, Raccoon City. Yeah. And, and I thought what's interesting is that, um, you know, obviously this is like, you know, this is, if you get Resident Evil's mixed up, which is completely forgivable, this is the one where um, Jill is chased around by Nemesis, the the biggest, buffest, uh, toothiest zombie man in a coat yet and obviously uh resi 2 had its own line in being chased by a man a in less coat. good but somehow like more recent yeah exactly model. yeah well he he wears a hat which is the big upgrade uh, true, yeah. um, you can shoot his hat off as 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 i think tom jones once sang um and <laughs> um 
but yeah, so it's a, you know, it's a, the trailer seems to indicate that it's very much more of that. Um, you know, even it was sort of mixture of cinematic and like first person play, I believe, huh. but did include the sort of, um, you can smash this window yellow tape, um, like police tape stuff. If I'm, if I'm remembering that right from Resi 2. Did you play Resi 2? Yeah, yeah, where yeah. you put the, put the board up. Yeah, so you can, no, no, you can smash this, yeah. you can board this. The opposite yeah. of smashing. Um, <laughs> what, what an advance. <laughs> no, incredible. Um, in fact, yeah, so, um, but so, like, I suspect, you know, more of that, basically. But it's kind of cool that they've, you know, knocked another one out quite yeah. quickly. I mean, you know, maybe it was a safe, safe bet. You know, two years ago, or whatever. Like, you know, let's get two in. Yeah, and then I, I can't remember when that one was revealed. But I don't know how close it was to, it to was, launch. It was a fair while. It was maybe a year or so. Was my vague, vague. Memory. It was a fair while, and it was also the the first trailer, if I remember right, was very, very vague. Yeah. Like, I think the scope of what they had done with that, like it is, you know, I think it's true. Resi 2 it won the Golden Joystick for Game of the Year this year. Like, it's it's a good game. It's definitely yeah. one of the year's best. Um. But like, I don't think people necessarily knew what that meant that they were doing a remake, and it turned out to be this. Well, it's sort of like you—you you don't dare believe that a remake might actually uh, lean on the very best things about that old game while mm. updating everything else to modern standards. Right? Yeah, it's interesting because I think Resident Evil is a series that every, like everyone in the world checked out of by a certain point because there were too many of them. They made no sense. You know, the, this Resi Three will catch up with Jill. I had this weird memory of like playing Resi 5, I think, and trying to piece this all together in my head. Did you play Resi 5? Yeah, I did. That was a, uh, yeah, that was the one in Africa. In Africa for some of it, but it's the one where you find out, and I believe, so spoilers for a bad game, shock horror, Jill's back, but now she's like Samus from Metroid. She's like in a, (laughs) she's a cyborg ninja warrior. I didn't get that Metal Gear bodysuit with bleach blonde hair now. (laughs) She has to do slow-mo backflips to evade Wesker five or something, you know, like it's, it got into that real bollocks. It it, it climbed all the way up and down the Kojima tree. I would really like, I think down with bad fruit. I think that Resi six needs to be looked back upon because that one seems completely batshit yeah, like in right. tone and style and it's very 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 long i believe as well i didn't try it because people said it was so long mm. and yeah. i think the start was terrible i seem to remember but i think this saying. is the you know this is the great thing about if any series has really benefited from remakes it's this one where it's kind of an interesting phenomena i suppose because you don't really like need a new story because it's a zombie story you're going to Run around to be scared. You're going to get a better gun and feel better. You're going to enter a puzzle area. You'll do a puzzle. You're going to go to a shit place where it's hard. Then you're going to go to a clean place and where the evil started. Yeah. And then it's going to end. With you on a jet, jet, ski, jet ski. Train. Hopefully train. Yeah. Uh, Jeep. Helicopter. <laughs> uh, He's going through all the game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, it's going to be the same thing every time. So why not just remake the ones where the... There wasn't quite so much guff attached to it. So I'm quite, so, quite pleased that they're doing this. So the, I mean, I think that, oh, when did Ready, when Ready Zero came out after four, years ago. didn't it? Yeah, it was like 2000 and it wasn't six the next or seven. Time. So, okay. So after three, are they going to remake four? That's the question for me. Well, they would have to, wouldn't they have to remake Code Veronica first? Oh, that's the one in between. Yes. It is. Yeah. That was a good one as well. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Real that's, good. uh, is that Claire Redfield? Running around on yes. an oil rig? Yep. 
Uh, oh, maybe in the end. Uh, I, yes. An oil rig? I remember being an oil rig, but I was a child. Yeah. I, I, I had that on Dreamcast. Me too. It was a long time ago. Yeah, man. Yeah, well, because it was a Dreamcast game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Code Veronica remake would be great. Because that was the first 3D one as well, like proper 3D one. Yeah, they're I remember all, they're all, being yeah. mind blown by it. Yeah. Obviously, they're all 3D games, but all without painting. But it was the one with kind of like a dynamic sort of camera. The others mm. are all fixed kind of um, rendered backgrounds. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Man, I, I don't know if they would... It'd be interesting to see if they did a Resi 4 remake. Because uh, there are fewer places you can take it other than what, where it already was. And, right. And also, it's been re-released so many times now. There are so many different mm. versions kind of floating around. I think the last one that came out wasn't that long ago. Like, right. Wasn't it, I don't know, just a couple of years ago I think it came out on PC not too long ago. That's the one, yeah. Like, and I or think, a version came out on PC. But also all the Resi remakes have basically been about realizing all the other games would be better if they were Resi 4. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, because that's when it really became what it is, I yeah. think. And yeah. so... I tell you what, I would be really interested in them putting out the original version of Resi 4. Have you ever seen that? The oh, one where it's right. like Grim yeah. Dark Luigi's Mansion. Like yeah, it's yeah. all ghosts with scissors chasing you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like that would be, that would be a curio. That'd be cool. Cause also the other thing about Resi 4 is a brilliant game, but it's also the point, I think, in the series, maybe Code Veronica does this somewhat, but it's definitely the point in the series where it goes properly off the rails. Like in terms of, you know, I thought, I thought genuinely that Resi 2's like performances were pretty good. Yeah, like, you know, yeah. they, they benefited from the vocab, the they made the characters a bit more believable. It's obviously like, you know, schlocky kind of spy thriller, zombie movie stuff. But they wanted, but, they wanted a realistic city. Like they, yeah. it, it traded, the feeling traded on this is a city gone to shit. Yeah. Whereas, I, how do they do Resi 4 and make the bit where a wee little Napoleon man turns into a tentacle flower uh, work, you know? <laughs> In his gothic fucking castle. Yeah. Like, how do you get, you get followed around by, uh, uh, uh well, by Zer from Destiny. <laughs> what you buying? Like, you know, like there's, they, you can take the camp out of Resident Evil but I don't think you can take the camp out of Resident Evil 4. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, the fact that you're there to rescue the president's daughter, and that's the one that ends with the jet ski. It does. That's the one, isn't it? That yeah. is the jet ski one. Yeah. So then, of course, it then veered off to um, 5, which is like, let's Ooh. do Africa. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when did 5 come out? Was it 2008 or 9 or something yeah, I think like I would, that? I would guess 8. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was troubling enough to elicit this is troubling takes in 2008. Yeah. Which is telling because, <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> games make crit broadly very much a snoozing in that period. So right now, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. I don't know. Yeah, I think... I actually, to be honest, to be perfectly happy with them to redo Resident Evil 1 again, because it's been a long time since that remake. See, I don't know whether you could do, because that one, because it's so confined to one a tight space, I'm not sure that it would work as well. Because like mm. Resident Evil 2 actually ends up being quite sprawling. They took out some of the streets and things in the original game, or did they? they, I, they I, I remember it going quickly, but I remember the original game being interminable because I was a child, yeah, so, you know. Yeah. But... I mean, and, and obviously the first half is in the police station, but it was quite, quite large. 
yeah, the house. I just, if you go first person or even third person kind of mm. Resi 4 things, you, you need space. You do. Yeah. You need big true. rooms and you have big space. Like the halls of the police station, you can fit lots of zombies in. You can fit, fit a crowd yeah, in. Yeah. There's so. a, there's a sort of, maybe we're turning this into Resi design chat, but there's like, there's a, there's a, one thing, the Dark Souls school of Resident, of, of sort of environment design suits Resident Evil really well. And Resi 2 almost went there in terms of you finding shortcuts that take you suddenly back to the start of the game or whatever yeah. to hoover up collectibles. But it doesn't really commit to it. It is ultimately, uh, you know, you find shortcuts back to where you started in order to maybe find some secrets or something like that. But, you know, uh, and I appreciate that I just tooted that low hugging flute like immediately. But it doesn't, it doesn't make a maze out of that or a kind of, you know, you're not yeah. sort of completing a, a, you know, a kind of coherent pattern. You're ultimately trying to get to you're the You're doing end. on certain courses through, through, yeah. you know. A, uh, it's all about your progress deeper yeah. into the, you know, umbrella facility, really, when it comes down to it. Um, and I, but I think that if, if they expanded the mansion concept somewhat. Well, yeah. one was much more like there is a house and you'll go in multiple journeys, like crossing the same areas. You, yeah. It was much more crisscrossing, mm. much more visiting areas that you'd already been to. In my memory, the last time I played that, I think it's come out, it's been re-released recently as well. It has, yeah. But I, the last time I played that was, um, GameCube version. So that mm, would have same. been 2001. Yeah. But yeah, they're, they're there. They're doing it again. Yeah. It's good. Mad, mad kids. I saw a trailer as well. Yeah. What trailer did you see? I saw a trailer for, um, uh, Twin Peaks VR. I can't believe I hadn't seen this before you mentioned it right before we started recording. Tell me, um, tell me about some of the, if you were making that trailer and you needed to come up with some sort of, um, cards with, with kind of phrases on them that would excite people while also being, you know, very much expressive of the theme and the setting of, of its inspiration. Uh, what kinds of things would you like to put As in, up? when you say cards, what do you we're mean? We're talking about like three words, you know, of, of like feature, feature list style kind of words. <laughs> Who kill Laura? <laughs> See, I would actually, that would be good. <laughs> Pie is nice. <laughs> Drink coffee. Mm, coffee. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, um, heart symbol, uh, Audrey Horn. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, collect Easter eggs wouldn't be one. Is, is that what you're saying? Uh, no. Yeah. Would, explore iconic locations do you think that's within the the, the you know I within think, the ip I think, I think you can i think there is space in a kind of lynchian psychosphere for the idea of an iconic location to take on real meaning <laughs> so yeah uh, so so i agree but this is against uh, a slow panning view of um a kind of a, a, a not a very good quality VR rendition of the police station, I'm afraid, rather than... That is, you know. oh man, what an iconic location. <laughs> hmm. Okay, uh, what else? And the, another one was discover hidden secrets. How's that difference to collect Easter eggs? Is the collect Easter eggs one really literal? Because that would also be an incredible <laughs> twist. <laughs> <laughs> well, soon after the the, uh, the, the Easter eggs one, um, there was uh, Bob, his hmm. face superimposed on something flying around a room. <laughs> Wait, you can't just say some, something. Well, it looked like Please a ball. Describe. It looked like a ball. And then I saw a screenshot and it looked like uh, a sort of a rock maybe, but it was, it's, it's not a, not a great looking 
game. Who is making this? I don't know. I've not heard of them and it's gone from my mind. <laughs> okay. But apparently, uh, David Lynch is, uh, uh, is, is collaborating on it. Then I will then give it a fully pa- believe. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I feel like <laughs> it's very hard to judge ahead of time what manner of folly this will be. I found it really fascinating because like, um, I think that the Twin Peaks, the show like mm. has this kind of playful relationship with the way that films can be literal about kind of weird shit, right? You know, yeah. Yeah. you have to show stuff, but then there's a tension between that and being kind of suggestive and all these other things. Mm. Yeah. You end up with a very expressive games are not so good about being weird, or at least they take a very, very careful hand to do proper weird. Mm. And every scene that I saw in that trailer, um, was uh, basically just a mashup of things that you, the iconic things from the TV show. Right. And so like, I think that it's weirdness. So I don't know what you do in the game. That was not clear at all. Um, it was sort of a disjointed, dislocated set of kind of Mm. scenes and Easter egg claims. Uh, there was one thing though, and it was putting some sort of brass ball into a very, very long trombone. <laughs> it sounds amazing. Because here's the thing. Like, Twin Peaks of Return basically proved this. Like, in order to do a more material in that environment, you can't do it again. Which yeah. sounds like that may be the mistake of the, it you know. Feels, the, yes, the I think it feels that they... You know, like it is a tone or an atmosphere or a mood or whatever. It's not yeah. a specific set of characters or places or events, really. Although yeah. obviously calling back to that stuff helps. The problem is people want the familiar thing. Well, I want to see the giant. How tall is he? Yeah, well, right. Well, this is the thing, right? Like when people are fans of things, they want to see it over and over again. And they don't want it to change, but they will be vastly disappointed if it's the same. Um, But also... It's, it's just a strange thing to be, particularly when the point of the thing itself is to be strange. Yeah. And to be not what you expect. Yeah. And to unsettle. But also like it's VR. So you're also going to have like physics things to fuck about with, with your hands. <laughs> <laughs> like brass balls. Like, so, okay, we're going to be weird about this. How about a brass ball and a trombone? There you go. I think, do you know what they should do? They should just put this out and be whatever the fuck it is, right? Like just walking around, putting balls in trombones, smashing things off tables. You know, walk into the double R diner or whatever and, and like tip some stuff on the floor. Yeah, put a pie on and the then, ground. And then, uh, Lynch just drop on Netflix or Amazon or wherever, like a whole new season, like Twin Peaks The Return 2 or whatever, which is just a story set now, whatever the fuck they choose to do with it doesn't, well, it doesn't, it matters, but you know, whatever. And just in the background of certain shots, there's just a character They're playing the game who is knocking yeah. shit off tables, putting things in trombones. This is the solution. Yeah. Like, yeah. and, and, and people, so people watching the TV show will be like, who the fuck is this? And people playing the game will be like, what the fuck am I? And that is a, um, that That's is a conversation between mediums. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's, there you go. So if that's what he does, that now. would that'd be exactly what should this should be, <laughs> yeah. and perhaps it is. Like let's not let's let's assume it is. That's what's happening. I'm very excited about this. Mm. This is good. Can't believe they're doing a new season in Twin Peaks. <laughs> Do you reckon it would be what would be what would be better? Would it be that it's just a random person in the background who appears to just wave their arms around, knock stuff over, and sort of look really like big head movements as they look around? Or would it be better if it was just like a pair of disembodied, like, um, like Vive controllers, like flinging around the <laughs> Like sort of poltergeist. Kind yeah. Of I, I mean, I, I like the idea that it's sort of, 
you know, it goes to a particular location where you always see this per- this person oh, doing something. Better, better idea. What if it's someone wearing a VR headset, holding the controllers, walking around the actual set, knocking things over <laughs> in the background? Like, you know, when you see those, like the, the adverts for VR and there's always people like, they always try and establish that it's a social experience that you shouldn't be embarrassed to be seen doing, which is the biggest lie of these adverts. So there's always someone wearing the, you know, they always, oh, they take the headset off a little bit and they're like, Phew, sweat on the brow. But behind them, the girlfriend looks very impressed. Yeah. Wow. Wow. You that know, looks you, great. You, what you're doing you're is socially so cool. acceptable. <laughs> uh, um, and, you know, that would be a great. Like, just have that person in the background. Flailing. Flailing, <laughs> knocking stuff over. No relationship to the plot whatsoever, but people who play the game. Sometimes drown, the nose drowns out the actual dialogue. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Knocks into the camera. <laughs> Patches it into something. Like, yeah, one of the, you have to go get batteries for one of the controllers <laughs> or charge it or something. Like, reaches the end, reaches the extent of the cable at some point. <laughs> Yanks the cable out of <laughs> yeah. the computer. Yeah. <laughs> complains about how sweaty they've become oh i feel sick (laughs) this is that see this is lynchian i think i think i may have been too quick to to, uh to um write this one off well i guess you're just gonna stick that brass ball in that trombone (laughs) see what happens good marvelous what what you've been playing well i've been playing um so i've been playing uh i've just started playing uh phoenix point Mm. which I, I'm happy to talk about and like to talk about, but I do need to do so with some caveats because um, I'm quite friendly with the development team now because we've met a few times. Uh, I know that uh, Julian uh, Gollop and uh, David Kay, who is the co-founder of Snapshot Games, both listen to the podcast from time to time. Mm. And it was David who gave me a key for his game because, uh, you know, that's what you do when your mates have got a game out. So I'm going to talk about it with those caveats. Uh, I just want to put that all up front because uh, I like it. Um, I haven't had any, I haven't, I've played maybe three or four hours so far and I haven't had any bad experiences with it. So, uh, my take is going to be positive. Um, but I just wanted to put that out in front in my due diligence that, uh, yeah. Smell the, the stench of corruption. Mm. Mm. Well, I suppose this will, this will happen more and more as more of us just are in game development and mm. play games that other developers have made whom you have talks about shop with <laughs> throughout you know, throughout the year. Um, so anyway, so Phoenix Point is, uh, the sort of, uh, well, game by, uh, Julian Gollop, Snapshot Games, um, man whom done a big XCOM once upon a time, uh, and now do it again. So it is, it feels very much like a, um, uh, I don't think it has, it, it by no means seems to have any kind of antagonistic relationship with Fraxis mm. XCOM. In fact, it, I think it borrows a sensible amount of Fraxis XCOM's UI ideas, sort of shorthand, you know, keyboard short, not keyboard shortcuts themselves, but like ease of use, yeah. basically. Um, and applies this to a game which is, I think, on the surface, a little bit closer to old school XCOM, but I don't think that's, that wouldn't be sufficient as a summary. Um, because there's a few different ways where it adds depth and I'm really enjoying it so far. So, um, the, uh, the, the high concept is this, uh, you take control of an organization called Phoenix, which is a sort of, I guess, like paramilitary science, you know, patrol, like a kind of, imagine a, like a grim dark Thunderbirds, (laughs) um, uh, sort of setup. Should we be worried about them? Because I don't think I'd support them if they're in real life. Um, 
well, I think they are, well, so they were founded during the Cold War and then shut down. This is all in the opening cutscene. Shut down for, you know, for reasons. I don't know, but they're back because now it's time for the Crab War. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Just one last job, boys. Exactly. Um, there is only, in the grim darkness of the far future, there's only Crab War. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, Are these aliens? Well, that's the well, thing. Or is that a, is that a so, thing? Uh, it feels like, it's actually, so I won't talk, so when I say crab war, I really do mean it. Um, the, you know, I, I think they embrace it as well. It's easy to lightly make fun of it because crab's a fundamentally funny word. Um, but, um, the, uh, the opening has like newsreels saying like, the crabs have become very territorial. And then there's a sort of lightly Lovecraftian element of like populations of people, uh, this mist rolling in off this mist, like essentially short version, ice caps melt because global warming bad. Uh, this released some kind of thing style pathogen, um, which takes the form of like a sea mist that rolls in over coastal areas. People go mad and start walking into the ocean. They come back as crab beasts, oh. mutant gun toting crab men and their legions. Um, humanity mostly dead now retreats into sanctuaries and, and, and forms these sort of monolithic factions. There's like a kind of, uh, sort of militant sort of, um, you know, military hierarchy sort of faction. There's a, uh, no hierarchies sort of, uh, highly liberal sort of utopian faction doing their best. <clears throat> and there's the, uh, as far as I can tell, sea creatures are good actually. Let's all turn into squid men, uh, faction. Um, and there's, so there's a mixture of things. I think, you know, XCOM, I, I, I don't keep drawing back to XCOM because obviously has its own art direction and its own sort of sense of what it is. You know, it's, it's telling that XCOM has always drawn threats from both the sea and space. And this is, the ocean side of that and and that is is a big part of lovecraftian horror like the, those two things have a relationship like yeah. the stars re- reflected in this in the night ocean is a repeated motif and you know the notion that the unknown can just as lightly come out of the depths is you know is fully lovecraftian and i think this leans into it a bit further than some actually in the sort of people entering trances and walking into the ocean coming back as crab men one of the um little enemy icons which is something that it um has in common with Fraxis XCOM where you can, you know, see who's in range of who by a little row of icons above a soldier's profile is a full on Innsmouthian fishman looking motherfucker. Like it's, it's going to that place. Um, but there's a few different things going on. I don't want to bang on about the whole thing. Cause as I say, I've played like four hours, so I can't give you the take on how a campaign plays out, but I played a couple Are of you choosing your faction. Is that no. So, well, so here's, here's, I'll get, I'll start with that then. So mm-hmm. you have the geoscape map. Um, is it, is it round? It is round. Nice. Mm, big and round. Big round hologram, uh, but orange. That's different. Um, but it, it works really differently. So, um, it's much more granular. You have your base, um, and, uh, initially, a, a, a aircraft basically that you can stuff with soldiers and soldiers can be resident in your base or on the aircraft. Um, and you can, uh, set off a scan at the whatever location that the aircraft is currently at. And this causes like a, uh, a sort of expanding scan radius to bloom out of this place. Initially, I can only do one at a time. I think eventually you can set up multiple scans. And as it, it, it moves across the landscape, you press unpause time and, and things progress, including your research and base building, construction, recruitment, all this stuff. It will uncover little points of interest on the map. So instead of, it's not the, this things, live events do happen, but if you think about the XCOM rhythm as play, press play on the, geomap until a situation happens then mm-hmm. respond to it mm-hmm. 
This is not like that. This Which is- was actually quite, that was a, uh, a riff on the original UFOs design as well. Yes, right. This is very different. You, you're actively exploring. Um, because you, you find, you start with the base and you don't know where anything is nearby and you find these nodes and you can direct your plane to fly to those nodes. And obviously as it's moving, it's time is progressing. Are you all in a plane? Like you've got a moving base. Is that, is that? No, no. The base is its own thing. And you can choose to leave people in the base or put them in the plane. You need at least one person in the plane to do things. To fly it. Yeah. You get to these nodes and you, they, you, you explore them. That takes a certain amount of time and that could uh, result in something. So Mm -hmm. that could result in finding, it could just be a text-based thing where you make a choice. It could be um, a mission, uh, the sort of standard mission type, at least as far as I've played, is you found some supplies, but they're scattered around this environment. Um, you go into a mission where the enemies will actively try and destroy the supplies, and whatever you can defend while also killing every enemy is what you get. So a really simple, straightforward mm-hmm. strategy, strategy sandbox works perfectly well as a way to teach you the mechanics, and as a sort of standard way of forming a mission. Mm-hmm. Um, but you may also find towns or strongholds that belong to one of these other factions. There are three other factions. I think when you first encounter them, there are missions associated with that. So you go into and solve a problem for them. Um, and this can be where you recruit. Um, it can be where you trade for different resources for goods because there's more going on. You have food, like your soldiers consume food over time. And if you aren't producing it yourself, you need to have a supply of it. Um, you know, building materials and construction stuff. Uh, factions also research things on their own and they will get research options you don't have. And so if you're friends with them, you can get that from them or yeah. buy that from them. But you also have the option to raid them at a huge cost of reputation with them. So if you're starving, you can go and do a combat mission against this human faction to nick their stuff. Hmm. So that's quite a lot more granular. And it actually, it's good mileage because it gets a whole other enemy faction out of the other yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and a, self-driven sort of um, mm, kind of in it a sounds way that, it sounds like um where XCOM was like a board game this is like an RPG sort of you know weirdly though I think the board game thing comes up quite, quite strongly to me right it's more it's more complicated than a board game because it's a digital thing and they can afford to have more things that would be a pain yeah, to yeah. track honestly but it, it it has it gave me big pandemic legacy vibes mm. um so the other thing is the alien threat in this or the you know the threat isn't um going to randomly land somewhere on earth as it does in XCOM, right? Like this city happens to be under attack. Um, there's like a kind of the mist that rolls in off the sea and comes inland. And if it, you know, if it comes over a, a node you plan to visit, if you go and try and do a mission there, it's going to be much harder because it's in enemy territory and it's repelled by these settlements. So, you know, they form a bubble basically where it's not going to go as far as I can tell or not easily. Because it got fans and stuff. Yeah, they've got big fans. Um, uh, but obviously if those settlements start to struggle, then they don't act as a bulwark against it in quite the same way. Um, and they can come under attack, in which case you have the option, like the thing I'm currently doing before I left to come out to do this podcast is racing to try and defend one of them, which will in turn earn you reputation or whatever. And that's where that seemed like the equivalent of those sort of crisis moments in XCOM, but it wasn't my base getting sieged. It was a nearby settlement, which is, making it easier for me to to do my thing, which I quite like as a mechanic because it means that where the monsters are is completely consistent. It's near the sea. But, you know, um, sort of figuring out how you're going to deal with that is, is an interesting thing, I think. And you can set up other bases for yourself. Um, I'm trying to find the second one now. I, I get the impression I'm still on sort of early tutorial land. I've done like three story missions and maybe five or six other kind of encounters. 
Um, and there's some interesting sort of systems. There's a lot of, there's a lot of systems and I'm still figuring all of them out. Um, but there's a lot of stuff going on. So your, um, soldiers have stamina. Um, and as far as I can tell, they all have 40 stamina points. Every turn you take in a mission costs one stamina for everybody in your team. Mm-hmm. And, um, also certain like out of game scenarios, like if you have a text thing, which is like, you find some dead people, you choose to bury them, which gets you some reputation with a nearby town, but it costs your whole squad 10 stamina, which means that 10 is taken from the group's total. So, you know, maybe everyone loses one and two people lose two. If you've got eight people or whatever it is, um, all that stuff happens. Um, and when stamina gets too low, your soldiers begin missions with fewer action points because they're knackered. And that is recovered by taking them back to base because you don't automatically return to base after a mission. I think because they're still on the bus. They're still on the plane. Yeah. So the plane, so you go out and unlike the, the, I appreciate, I'm going to use the word XCOM a lot, but it's impossible to avoid, like particularly because it's going to be people's touch tones for this. Unlike the sort of out and back again, out and back again rhythm, you go out and then you do what feels like an expedition, you know, you go around, you maybe, and because you set off your scan on a particular node and it will radiate from that point, you sort of can sort of race the oh, edge of, it. of adjacency things. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. and so you might be doing a mission and then as you're doing that mission, the scan will pick something nearby and you decide, yeah. Oh, I'll just go there. Like the perfect example of this is this attack on this nearby town has happened just as I have actually decided to come home, which is in a way convenient because it's on my way back, but I'm, I'm decided to come back because a bunch of my, you know, guys took some bad hits in the last mission and it's getting a bit sketchy. So now I'm, you know, doing the thing of, uh, flying into the, the scary mission, maybe slightly under, under, um, under prepared, but that's the heart of these campaign games mm. as far as I'm concerned. And, and what's interesting about that is, um, that feels immediately a little bit more, uh, tactile than, um, or no, it's not, not tactile fair actually than both tactile and fair because I'm involved and basically I'm actively involved in it. Um, than it is when because it's like a terror mission that you've terror got to mission, go, you've it, got yeah. to go or yeah. your base is under attack and you have to do it yeah. because it's like, this for me is like, Oh, I do want to defend this town and it is on my way, but I'm going to do it, but I have the choice not to. And yeah. maybe there'll be things where it's like, you've got to do this now or you're, or you're effed. And I am playing it with that mindset of, I would like to, uh, with, with any X, I mean, I love these games, but it takes me a long, like it'll take me a couple of campaigns to really know what its rhythms are. And what I haven't done yet, with all of these, with every XCOM, both of the Firaxis XCOM games have points in them, particularly if you're playing, I'm not, I'm playing on normal difficulty. So, you know, it's not necessarily been too taxing so far, but, um, both of the Firaxis games have a point quite early on where, you know, you're either going to start snowballing or, you know, you're effed, particularly in like an Iron Man playthrough. And I haven't hit that yet, but I know I'm waiting for it. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting if, you know, if it shows, if it doesn't show up and I get through the whole campaign, still worried that it's about to happen, then that will be a success. But that hasn't necessarily, like I, yeah, that, the jury is, the jury is fully out on that one. Like yeah, I yeah. might be, you know, I literally saved and quit right as I was about to do this mission. So I might load it up, everyone dies. And I'm like, oh, I actually should have done 15 <laughs> different things differently. And I've already, you know, this first three hours was the learning three hours where you learn, you don't just randomly fly around doing stuff. You have to keep certain people fresh or, you know, whatever. We'll see. So that's the, uh, there's obviously going to be loads more to that. And I think it's going to take, you know, it might re- re- revisit it on a future pod, maybe the new year. 
when I've had some more time with it. Um, but I do also want to talk about the actual strategy game as well, like the tactics, sorry, the, the, you know, the tactics. squad tactics, tactics level. Tactics, yeah. I'm just eating my words a little bit. Um, cause it does some things that I think are really neat. So I think some of this might be familiar to people cause I know it was, had an early access presence for a while, I believe. I think cause it was a kickstarted game. So backers have had it for have a they? certain amount of time. Mm. I believe so. Okay. And I played it at a couple of successive EGXs. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I deliberately sort of didn't play it before it was done because I tend not to. Um, and, but I, I kind of knew what the vibe was and, uh, but it's actually playing it has, um, feels almost quite different to the game I played at those shows. It feels a better showcase of its core ideas, basically, mm. which is it has, you know, the same sort of spending action points, running, taking cover, um, setting up overwatch, you know, those sorts of. So the difference here is like, obviously XCOM is your two action yeah. model. And this seems to go back to UFO where each character has, is it the same amount or a differing number of, um, kind of at the moment, points? everyone. So it's, so there are two, there are two things. This is kind of interesting. I'm still, again, this is going to be basic takes time, but so every character so that I have has four action points. Right. And that affects movement distance, but different weapons cost different amounts to fire. So that's the thing. That's, that's thing one. Everyone also has a resource called willpower, which is both morale and energy. So if they run out of it, they break, they panic. Um, that triggers that kind of, you know, panic state, um, where you can't control them anymore. Um, but you can also spend it. So it's not just something that gets taken away as a penalty. You can also spend it. So a lot of my like assault class kind of assault rifle soldiers at the moment all have unlocked the ability to do a pretty big move um, for no action points, but at the cost of four willpower. And on average, they each have like 10 to 12 willpower points. So it's like a third of their bar to exchange it for a really big move. And actually it feels quite overpowered at first because you can move a really long way and then, you know, because they're like an assault class, they can actually then either shoot twice or move and shoot. So you can actually get like, and the maps aren't massive, like at all. So you can actually get like all the way across the map doing this. Mm. Um, and it feels quite kind of liberating. Then there's a variant of this, like I have a guy with a jetpack who can jetpack costs a bit of willpower and some action points. So it's, that's a trade off in that direction. Sounds like you're quite mobile then. You, you are very, well. yeah, it feels like, it feels like having your morale effectively be a resource you can spend is a way of giving you the ability to overpower yourself at a meaningful cost. Like it can, it, it, I haven't had a failure yet really, but it can, can hypothetically create a kind of cascading fail state where you overextend somebody and you, that's the wrong, there, there isn't an undo as far as I can tell. So you, you know, if you, Oh, because dash, you're presumably like fog of war. Yeah. If you dash into can... the fog of war and it's the wrong thing to do, not only are you probably miles out of position, but you're also more likely to break because you've spent some of your willpower to get there. Um, so there's all that. Um, then there's, there's two other things that are both related to each other. One is, um, maybe three. So one is that, um, in addition to, so enemies and everyone is, is sort of modular, made of limbs. Your people are made of you know, arms, legs, heads, and even weapons are all distinct objects, parts of the body that can break individually. And this is the reason why crabs, crabs, nature's mech, um, <laughs> um, <laughs> many different attachments in the real world, mostly claws and legs. But imagine the possibilities 
were that not the case? So sometime, you know, and I think, so I, I remember reading about this being more modular than it seems to be, but that might be an earlier kind of campaign thing. Yeah. Like you're, you're going against just claws. Yeah. Moment, so at the moment, getting... the sort of example enemies are like crab man with shield. And he might be shield and gun or shield and... Is that like a shield to the front? So you're Well, he takes shielding back. as an action. So he like puts oh, okay. a shield in front of yeah. him. And then uh you can, if you can flank or whatever, you can try and break it. Or you can break the shield or, or whatever. Shield and gun, shield and melee weapon. There's these like uh the, the gribbly Innsmouth looking dudes. Um They have a thing where they can be, I think they can have ranged weapons or melee weapons as well. But they have a thing where after they take damage, they instinctively go invisible and flee. So if you kill them in one shot, you can pin them down. If not, you lose them, which is a really nice kind of mechanic. Um, I'm trying to think of other enemies. Um, there are little gribbly exploding worms that race at you that, um, that people with heavy weapons struggle to hit, which is kind of neat because it gives pistols a thing to do. Cause it's, that's good. That's yeah, good. It's cause like I had a, you know, my big guy with a huge, like double handed, like, like a rail gun just couldn't hit them for shit, which kind of feels right. Um, there's a bunch of other enemies as well. Um, a, a cool example of why modularity is cool actually is, um, uh, there's like, a, I can't remember what it's called. In fact, I wrote it down. A mind. What did I write? I, I can't <laughs> read this. Um, it looks like mind fusser. Fussing around with yeah. mind. You're fussing my mind, man. <laughs> um, I wrote this because I liked the mechanic, but I can't read my own writing without it sounding very rude. So mind fussers. Um, are like little, like sort of polyp sort of squiggly things that leap onto a soldier's face and oh, mind control them. Right. Um, which, I mean, obviously XCOM do they has the, fall, do they, they, are they, they then fight the enemies, or right. do, do they, they run around the level or do, yeah, do they, they drop off bits of building on you? No, they, they run around. Right. Um, and this is neat because obviously, um, it's, it's, it's fundamentally the same mechanic as XCOM to an extent. Like sectoids can mind control one of your dudes and you have to shoot the sectoid to free the dude. Uh, in this though, the little alien is literally stuck to his face. Just to shoot you so you have to the shoot face. the face, uh, cause you can aim for very specific <laughs> things. And, um, your soldiers can't shoot through each other. So if you don't plan a shot properly, it will just hit someone on your team in the back. Or if it goes wide, it hits what it hits basically. So you can shoot your own team really easily. So, you know, sniping an alien off someone's face is a, Risky business. Thing. It's risky. It's a risky thing to do. Uh, what's um, the um? What are the shooting me- mechanics like? Are you dealing? I'm glad with- you asked. <laughs> um, we always finish the question. That's it. I, well, well, I finished <laughs> it, but I thought I'd just add a few words on the end, which are unnecessary. So you um, you can choose to just sort of auto fire at the enemy, which will fire at the part I think that you have the highest chance of hitting. Um, but the way, so one of the things that feels a little janky so far, um, I'm getting used to is the way it expresses your likelihood to hit. Cause as far as I know, it's real ballistics. It's not yeah. like just a dice roll. Like you can, if you, you, cause you can aim for specific body parts, you can easily aim for the head, but hit the leg. You know what I mean? It's not like you fail the, what's your phone doing? I'm trying to, if it's trying to call my daughter. <laughs> You've bum dialed your daughter while talking about crabs. Um, (laughs) so yeah. So, you know, if if, like the bullet misses, it will still hit something. It's not just like a dice roll and you didn't hit the head. So you didn't hit that kind of thing. Um, but while you're mousing over what you want to try and hit, it will give you like a white bar Hmm. that will become, um, more white or less opaque, basically less transparent. The more likely that shot is to hit and turn into, I think white chevrons of very, uh, uh, if it's, 
going to hit, if it's guaranteed to hit. And however much of the enemy's health bar the white bar covers is how much damage it's going to do. Okay. So if you aim and it's white chevrons covering the entire health bar, you know you're going to kill them. Yeah, yeah. Um, Otherwise, it's these sort of like, it can be when you're, and so you have the choice of doing the shot or you can enter essentially an over the shoulder third person camera where you have a targeting reticule. It's not like Fallout Vats style pick the limb. It's a cursor and you click exactly where you want the shot to go. And it goes exactly there or is there deviance? There is deviance, and that's what the that's what the white bar is trying to represent. Yeah. Um, what's neat is the environment's fully destructible, um, uh, with obviously like logical properties. So, like big, thick, reinforced concrete wall, not destructible very easily. Most things are, to the extent that you can knock like a panel out of a wooden wall, like as far as I can tell, and that creates a hole you can shoot through. And so. Um, you might not be able to target an enemy, but if you know they're on the other side of a wall, you're still allowed to shoot that wall. You just pick, you pick shoot. It won't have anything to shoot at. You click, you know, it gives you the targeting cursor and you just click. And then there's no percentage chance of anything. It's just fire whatever gun I'm holding at this point of the level mm. and it will do a thing. So I found it very satisfying to, um, you know, if I was struggling to find a, a use for my heavy weapon guy with his big rail gun in a particular mission, cause everyone's kind of, wibbling around and being in cover he's just knocking down walls. down walls yeah, yeah like that's a very segments. ufo thing to do as well yeah it is yeah yeah, yeah that's a good point actually i think because the fidelity of this yeah it doesn't quite feel like that it feels less digital than yeah. that yeah uh, obviously it's a digital game but you know what i mean it feels less yeah. binary than just wall is there wall isn't there's a lot of kind of destruction that takes place oh, that's cool so yeah i, I mean I, I have used grenades but, far more for creating sight lines than anything else which is cool yeah are you bum dialing someone else now? I already quit now. I don't understand why it keeps going off. <laughs> Too many bum dials. Oh. Um, the only fi- the final thing is that I would mention. I think then I'm done with my monologue. Actually, I was going to ask you about yeah. the um, about that vis- that that re- way of representing your uh, your accuracy. Like it's still there's mm. still percentages going on in the logic, yeah. But does it feel more sort of fair to you? I've been thinking a lot about um, randomness in games mm. um, lately, and um, part of I watched a talk that I weirdly enough I was I remember being at but at GDC in 2010 or something with um, Sid Meier mm. talking about Civilization Revolution, where he was talking about. Um, uh, testers' um, responses to the percentage um, chance of failure or success right. in in and like basically people assume that when it says ninety percent, uh, you know, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Not that it's a and, one percent, but failure. it's actually surprisingly, you know, low. The percentage goes before people stop feeling sort of diddled out or something. Does that graphic way of representing it so um, that, alleviate that? So I I'm not sure because. I think it's so it doesn't it has like the over shoulder cam for shooting. Um what so what's interesting about it is that's kind of an interesting question because what it does is it takes you out of thinking about the precise odds. Um I think about odds in games a lot because I play a lot of dice games, whether it's Warhammer or other things. Yeah. And I think the thing you're discussing like is related to a broader topic, which is humans have a really weird relationship with dice and a really relationship weird relationship with chance. Right. Like it's borderline superstitious. It's very emotional. Mm. It's very emotionally led. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a rigid logic to it, but everyone in the world has a, a gambling streak that they will take. And you, but you can only gamble if you know the numbers involved, really. Um, well, that's not, that's not true in a strict logical sense, but in a sort of, um, I think 
that gambling, the sort of thrill of gambling requires to some extent having a sense of what the odds of something happening are, knowing the reasons why it might or might not happen, and then going for it. Whether that's this person may or may not have this card, but if they don't, then I've won, or I'm going to, you know, I just need to roll a six on these four dice to win the game, and I'm going to, even though that's not guaranteed, and it never is, I'm going to take that chance because I'm feeling lucky, right? Whatever it is. One thing this doesn't do um, is make it very clear why someone's lost, missed, sorry, a shot or something like that, or give you a huge sense of why the circumstances that they are in make it more or less likely for them to hit. You can intuit it sometimes, but um, I found myself, maybe this is partly because the enemies are so strange and kind of gribbly. I found myself not necessarily able to tell, uh, this might also be a learning thing, why something is like, this is a sure shot, this isn't. I just see that it is and I go for it. Um, and so there's a sense of not being aware of the underlying maths and that might yeah. come. And therefore, um, I don't know. I don't know if I'll fully commit to that. I, I'm feeling like I'm talking around the point a little bit. So I think it helps to an extent because you're not told this is a sure thing and it doesn't happen. Um, however, it's also, it would be nice if it was clear about even if it's not showing you the maths of the dice roll happening behind the scenes, it would be nice to have more information about the ballistics involved. Like even if it was like feedback in terms of, Oh, that shot missed because it hit an object between uh, me and them, or that shot missed because it went wide because it's too far away. Cause it wants you to think about that. So one interesting mechanic is it's overwatch system, uh, which works similarly to um, overwatch and other games where, you know, if an enemy moves, into line of sight then the soldier returns fire but um it's not you don't put someone on overwatch and then if they see anyone you put someone on overwatch and pick not only a cone for them to watch but how long that cone is and that's not i think if 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 you were designing this game with pure user friendliness in mind you'd be rotating the cone around the character and the cone's length would be set to the optimal range for the weapon they're carrying Mm. so sniper big big long cone assault weapon medium cone it's not that you can pick someone with an assault rifle and set a massive cone that goes all the way to the back of the level which means that if an enemy runs past miles away they will take that shot and they will miss but it incredibly low odds yeah. yeah and so there's a skill in gauging where you need to draw the line and so you know i've had these moments where an enemy has cautiously advanced right to the edge of where my overwatch cone is and stopped and i've realized <laughs> would i be better to have pushed it back they can't see they can't see my overwatch cone but like yeah, yeah, yeah. would i be better to have pushed it back is that the ai being smart because it knows what the optimal range of my weapons is or you know if i did push it back is that just going to waste ammo on a shot that isn't going to do anything so that's kind of neat because it wants you to think in a quite an analog way about how far away is this like you can probably put a sniper in a good position you can probably put them you know, put their Overwatch cone as far back as you like, and there's probably some value in that. Feels like there's quite a lot of kind of uh, human intuition going on in this one. So there's the you know yeah. the, the, the the manual aim and you know destroying walls. Of, yeah, destroying walls. There's lots of sort of fuzzy humanity going on. Yeah. So the most recent mission I played is a good example of that. I was ambushed. First time I had an ambush scenario where you start in the middle of the map and the enemy spawning from every side, and I still think it's taking it easy on me at the moment, but um, you have to survive three turns and get to the evac zone, basically, with every survivor. And I actually, this is my misunderstanding. I, I thought I just had to survive three turns. So I sort of held up in the middle of the map for three turns. And then I was oh, I've got to leave. And so I had to scan around. <laughs> yeah, there's a crab man out there. Yeah. Um, 
But my approach to leaving was this sort of like staged retreat, you know, coming back in waves. But the thing that I managed to do that was cool is I had two, like, I think reasonably lucky shots. Um, but two, I have two snipers and they both managed to, sh- to shoot the guns that the crab men at the front were carrying and destroy them. Because you can damage weapon, you can damage gear, which gives it a chance to fail. You can also destroy gear, which meant that the front line of crab men, who were basically at their own extreme range, suddenly didn't have ranged weapons anymore. So rather than, um, so it completely changed the dynamic of the fight because they then had to try and get closer to me, rather than, you know, hang back and sh- and shoot, like move forward and shoot every turn as I move backwards and shoot, which meant that I could sort of like. Um, I kept retreating, taking pot shots at the last group that still had ranged weapons, but then realized I can actually outpace them because they're too far behind. And I've managed to render the two guys that are closest to me useless without having to kill them with just, you know, strategic sniper fire. I can leave now. Like there's no need for me to keep fighting this. And that felt really cool because it felt like quite an analog solution to that problem, mm. which was, you know, it's like um quite war game-ish actually in a way where it's like actually this sort of little quirk of chance in this game has meant that, if I play the objective, this is now unwinnable for my opponent because this key asset has been lost. Like they yeah. don't really have units and I'm still outnumbered, but yeah, the, 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 the soft probability of this has shifted massively in my favor. Yeah. Um, you know, they don't have the right units in the right place anymore because I've turned their ranged units into one armed melee units. Um, which is a cool thing to happen. The, yeah. The, yeah. The, um, I, I don't think can happen in many other games like this. Mm, that I'm aware I can't of. think of me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so, so far really enjoying it. Um, the, I have had one, it feels like, and this is going to be, I guarantee it, some kind of middleware issue. It felt like it almost fell over completely on the campaign screen when a cutscene tried to play. So there's a little bit of a wobble, like a bit of sort of strange sort of, oh, are you going to crash really badly now feeling? But I waited and it came back and I wonder if it was almost the duration of some video that wasn't playing. Like this is, I can't get out QA brain sometimes, but it's, it was like, You've obviously tried to play a cutscene and it hasn't happened and I'm just sort of frozen for 90 seconds. The only reason I mentioned that partly is a broader, generally most, for the, for the most part, it feels quite polished, but that was a, a standout, uh, moment. The one thing, a reason I mention it is it was one of those things where I was really close to like control up deleting the game, um, to get around it. And then it came back and I would have lost some progress. I think if I had done that. So if you were playing it and you get what looks like a, particularly after a little moment, you click okay. And suddenly it's like, ah, maybe give it a minute, give it a chance, give it a chance. But yeah, um, I'll almost certainly return to it. Do you need to play? Yeah. It's, it's, um, Epic store only at the moment, but I believe it's coming to steam next year. So yeah, but yeah, so good job guys. I like your crabs game. Well done, everybody. Well done, everybody. <laughs> um, I think we're managed, I think thinking about the games that are coming up on this podcast, I think we're going to go three for three in this week's YouTube thumbnail of pictures of, um, people in helmets <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> fighting a gribble man. Cause I'm going to be talking about, uh, mm. next about, um, the adventures of not John Halo mm. in the reach. Halo. Reach. Reach. <laughs> My favorite Halo game, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so this is the remake. Came out last week. Oh. Last week. Uh, it is, um, it's a, it's a, like, you know, we, 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 we started the chat with, uh, Resident Evil 2, which was a, and Resident Evil 3, I should say, which is a remake remake. This is like a buffed up remake, but like it looks fucking good still. Like, 
the texture work and just the design of that game, the art, mm. the artwork of that game was always good. And it happens like putting it up to 1080p or whatever looks, makes it look better. Mm. And, um, you know, and playing it at sort of smooth frame rates is also nice. Played it on my 360 back in the day. Um, it is a good Halo. It's a really good Halo. But I haven't played Halo for a long, long time now. Mm. And he Halo feels weird, man. Does it? It feels, um, and I think it's because Destiny feels like such a, uh, relation to it or like an ancestor, yeah. you'd probably call it or not an ancestor. What's the other way? Like a descendant, an, a descendant of it. So that all of, you know, you, you can feel in the, in the speed at which you move and lots of things about it. Lots of ways about the feel of the weapons, which is sort of similar. And yet I was really surprised by how old it felt, how, how, how old it felt, how, um, not janky, but ganky. Clunky? Could, clunky. Would you commit yeah. to clunky? So one of the things, so <laughs> <laughs> one of the things about it is like, so I, I actually, um, I started using, um, the uh, standard kind of, uh, uh control layout which is the old uh, um, Halo layout, which used to be burned into my mind. Mm. And I was good at it. And it, I felt weird to go into, you know, Cod Call of Duty style yeah. kind of things. Really weird. So that is, uh, you've got melee on R1, mm-hmm. like, or, you know, you know, that bumper. You've got, uh, the, you've got no sprint, although in reach you do have a sprint, but it's a special ability you can swap in and out. Mm. That's on some weird place. The zoom is on the clicky button on the left stick, I yep. think. It's on the right stick. Right stick, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Right stick. Uh, couldn't get on with that at all. Not left, now. Left, left, left L1 is grenade. Yes, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Couldn't get on with that. Really weird. Uh, in the settings, you can switch it to very modern, like, Call of Duty style, modern, normal stat settings. But the zoom, you can zoom all the weapons, but only a few of them are fireable. Yeah. Like <laughs> Sometimes it just telescope. It, it, it don't, it just a telescope now. <laughs> uh, so that's weird. The other thing is that if you get shot, cause there's, this is the game that has the DAMR in it, which is like this sort of, mm. um, uh, sort of, sort of long range rifle, not a sniper rifle, but like, you know, battle rifle plus sort of single shot thing. Yeah. And, um, and that is, you just feel like my modern mind wants to zoom that in all the time because it's the scout rifle in, in, um, right. in Destiny. And, uh, if you get shot and you do get, you can fire in zoom in, in, in Halo Reach. Uh, but if you get shot, uh, you get, flung back out to your normal view. So you have mm. to press the button again. And I've got it so you when you hold down the button, like as you do in one thing, you you zoom in. So now you've still got your button held down, the button held down to zoom, but you're not in zoom anymore. Little things like this, mm. which is the, it's a crash between modern convention and a game that was ever designed for that. You know, yeah, it right. was meant to be a click-in that you, you know, it's Don't really... Use very often as well, because it's, yeah. yeah. It's... uh Another thing that's really funny, it's odd about it, is that, um, you know, people take the piss out of, uh, of Destiny for having bullet sponge enemies. 
fucking you go play halo again good yeah. god the number of bullets you pile into are kind of the elites which are the kind of like the main griblies like the big griblies with a shield good lord you've put so many bullets into them you can pretty much empty a dmr into one and you know you're going to drop it if you get you know if you don't get many headshots once the shield's down it's probably going to take most of a clip and yeah. like that's a lot of shots. That's a lot of firing. That's a, that's actually a big proportion of, um, all the ammunition that you'll have for that pickup of that weapon. So you're probably going to be picking, you know, pick up their weapon. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, th- this is a game that wants to swap, you've to swap weapons all the time. Mm. Um, which was always a strength of that game. I used to like it because all the weapons had strengths about them. Mm. All of them had interesting, fun things about them. It was a good sandbox in that way. But, um, again, coming from Destiny, where you're stuck to your favorite three weapons, so then, you know, it's, oh, no, I want to go back to the DMR. You know, I want to go scout rifle. That's it's, interesting. Cause it's, it's, yeah, it's really, it's really fighting against my, my Destiny, uh, um, instincts all the time. Um, and this bullet sponginess is, and I don't know whether this is to do with the fact that, it, um, is a game, designed for 30 frames a second that mm. you d- i don't remember it feeling this unresponsive to getting you know shooting stuff like when you when you kill something easy like they will go sprawling like the the mm. ragdolling is good but there isn't the, the the destiny style there's something about destiny's hit responses and the general feedback which is just so much more yellow powerful. numbers I, it can't be just the numbers, Chris. It can't, I will not, I can't accept that. Yellow numbers. <laughs> you see yellow number, your brain says hello. Good. 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 Yes, good. I'm good. good. I'm good. I'm a good boy. <laughs> I'm good. Thank you, Bungie. Pat me. Pat me. <laughs> um, th- this is fascinating. Oh, it's just so fascinating. But the, but the set pieces are fucking great. Like, yeah, it's such a good game. Um, yeah, it's interesting because I like, it's funny. I, I, maybe I should play it because I loved those games. Uh, and I remember very, very fondly and I did the legendary runs on all of them, yeah. which is. I think they're hard. Like you are hard. I'm playing hell. on, um, heroic and which is, was the game. I, it was the way I always used to play them. Mm. And I cannot play like I do in destiny in destiny. You're like a fucking walking God compared yeah. to not John, not John. Yeah. Custom John. Yeah. You are. Well, um, that's the thing, right? But that like, was part of the, that was part of the, the theme to that game. You were meant to be like a sub Spartan, like the not so good Spartan. Mm. I remember all this because now I'm remembering also, I have a long history with this game because I went to see it on its very first reveal. So I went to visit Bungie, uh, in one of, like in that first phalanx of journalists, like mm. who invited. So I was the, the UK one and, and it meant that I wrote about that game fucking five times for all of the, future magazines in 2000 and whatever it was 11 no nine that, nine 2009 yeah. and um yeah so i remember all the stuff about Jesus, it so I'm, 10 years ago yeah it is it really is <sighs> and i remember about you know sort of going to reach and i remember them talking about the fact that um it was a it was a game that's about loss and it's sort of setting up because this is the this is the headset at the very start of the halo story with this mysterious alien force, the Covenant, appearing and just a- annihilating this planet that you are on, uh, called Reach. Um, and this is like an outpost planet and there's already, um, a, a revolution threatening to kick off on it, which is why you're there. The military is there mm. and you're the kind of not so good Spartans. So you're a bit more human than old John Halo, John, John yeah. Spartans and, uh, and you're in the squad and, 
by this point, Bungie had decided to be a lot more cinematic mm. and a lot more, let's do a story and put humans into it. And, uh, yeah. the dialogue. Does it not hold up? Some of the dialogue is actually quite nice. Like it, it plays around with the conventions of the military squad because mm. by this point, by, by the time it came out, obviously quad was ascendant and, and so it feels a little bit like Bungie really needed to do its, its military shooter. Yeah. But it, but it, it has a bit more heart to it. Like there's a bit more fun and a bit more heart that goes into the characters. But the voice work is so bad. It's like the, the, the guy who plays George, who's the big guy oh, with yeah. the big mini, mini. I, I remember him. Thing. He's the one I remember the most. Yeah. I, I, I have a great soft spot for him. He's lovely, but his, his voice actor has a great tone of voice. Mm. Not a good reading of words voice. <laughs> well, it's a good voice, but not yeah, a good I, well, I remember of words it as sort of like characterful noises. <laughs> yeah. Can't remember a single word he says. No, no, I can't either. He just sort of, cause they, he's very good at kind of having them grunting while they're in, in battle and making comments when they're in battle and mm. like he's got a grunting away. Um, yeah, no, it's so, so like, but the grandeur of the place, and they were talking when I was doing on the visit, like, oh, this is like something that as a journalist you hear, like, probably every other fucking studio. Yeah. Uh, Reach is very much the, the main character of the game. But actually, to be fair, it really is like, it's a fucking, you know, this is mega Hebrides. It's like really <laughs> fucking like a, you know, sort of rugged and like the people there are kind of, you just get the sense of a, a people, you know, that, that, that kind of live on the edge of the known mm. kind of human kind of universe. I think, um, Titanfall 2 owes it some. Yeah, that's true, actually. Yeah. Owes it some cred. Yeah. From across time. And so it's like frontier really... planet kind of vibe. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that feels awesome. Yeah. The, the set pieces are great. Like, um, I played uh, a level just before coming out here, which I remember fondly from the time, which was, so there's, uh, so you're, you're on reach the planet and it's under attack by all these capital, capital ships, uh, um, capital ships. <laughs> Goddamn gammons. No politics, Alex. The gammons are coming. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, they, um, and you, you jet up and I remember being surprised about it at the time when I first played it. Like you jet up in a spaceship and you do some space shooting, Gosh. um, which isn't that good, but it's, you know, it's fun. It's good. Mm. It's fine. And you then land on, uh, this, uh, capitalist ship and uh, you have a fight. And, uh, the, one of the final bits in that section is this big round room and there are the covenant enemies are in the middle of the room, all behind shields and things. There are quite a few, um, elites. There are lots of the little gribblers and you're just dodging, moving in and out. It's the most dynamic kind of fight because you're constantly, you know, under assault from multiple directions. Mm. And like that, that is Halo. Like yeah. that is the, you are constantly moving. You're constantly trying to be, you know, they're trying to flank you. It feels like a live environment. Like, and that is something it has over Destiny. Mm. Like Destiny gen, like, always has stuff in front of you even when you're in the open areas like you know you know instinctively in in your open areas that enemies are clustered in areas Mm. and it's rare that you're ever getting shot at from the back uh when you're encountering something from Mm. the front unless you pushed too far it's usually your fault basically it's a choice you've made you know or Mm. it's inexperienced speaking like and mostly you're on these kind of linear paths you know down into dungeons where you're clearing the way like there's nothing coming from the back this and yeah you do get those kind of arena parts but 
in they're not they have a different relationship not, with yeah. Halo and Destiny. I think it's I think it's good, but it's a very different cadence. Like yeah. Halo, the, the great the joy of Halo, and I think the, it's a crime that other games haven't imitated this format. Because I mean, COD is also pushed forward to the checkpoint, right? Um, the great the, the great thing about Halo has always been being dropped into a space with all of the tools you're going to get to solve the gun puzzle. Yeah. Like you, you know, you are not going to be able to have one gun through the whole thing. You're going to run out of ammo for it. Your human weapons, you know, depends on the exact makeup of the height. And then I love this kind of design. They, they have all of these different elements they can throw in to make arenas feel different. So if this arena has uh, friendly human AI soldiers fighting in it, uh, not only does that add a dynamic, they're going to die and they're going to drop human weapons. So if you do want another DMR, you might go find one over there. Yeah. Um, but if you're, you know, if it's a very alien environment, then you're going to be using alien guns for the second half of that fight when your ammo stocks are down. And that's it. You solve the puzzle. And all you need to know is I just need to get to the end of this. I think it's maybe underrated as one of the only single player first person shooters to solve the I'm going to hold all my grenades forever issue. Yeah. Right. Or I will never fire my rocket because yeah. I'm going to get. I'll never get another one yeah. problem that Doom and Quake have. It solves it because it's like, no, I just need to get to this fight and I trust the way the game is designed that then the fight after this will A, be different yeah. and B, will have its own set of tools for me. Yeah. And that's why it's great. That's why they're, they're, I think, really up there for me. Like the, you know, um, there are different ways to structure a shooter and I think I can't decide if that is, the Half-Life method is every level is its own game and you are going to use these tools in this environment um, to explore this, you know, thing and then you'll get to the end of it and you'll encounter something completely different halo is not that because it's the same elements returning constantly as part of this recycling set but i I love the halo thing and i think it's only really a a back a history of to some extent kind of pc-centric snobbery that hasn't had those two games more favorably compared as ways of um structuring an fps like they're the two pinnacles of it as far as i'm concerned um that's a bit of a ramble the point is destiny is really interesting because Destiny takes that, uh, I'm going to go solve a gun problem with my space bombs thing and it executes on the macro scale. Um, and everything get destiny does is about making you make those decisions on the macro scale. So, um, and different levels of the macro scale. So from, I need this loadout for this encounter, uh, because I understand these aspects of the design to, I am going to set this, uh, my current objectives are encouraging me to use these weapons, um, or to use weapons like this, but the requirements are, you know, it's given me stipulation Z and I'm trying to achieve, uh, objective X. So I'm going to do thing Y that merges these two. This is my interpretation of the midpoint between these two sets mm-hmm. of urges. Then the step beyond that is I need to do those extra stipulations because I'm trying to earn this particular weapon that will change the sandbox in this other area where I'm trying to achieve goal Q. Yeah. And that big macro scale kind of incentivization is what makes it really compelling. Yeah. But I agree that it, it loses the moment to moment um sort of chance and luck and kind of drama of halo of like it's, I've, it's I, you know, I've misplanned this and i've only got a needle gun and it's not what i want right now but i'm going to try and make it work yeah no you kind of macgyver like yeah. you can't in destiny you you can kind of you can you can have kind of thrilling escapes but you don't macgyver you know you no. don't kind of like hook all by crook um I was about to mention something interesting, but you, let's talk, finish talking about reach before I get onto that. Yeah. No, I, I, so, so just the other thing, like, I think, yeah, I mean, the, the difference between those, you know, between Destiny and, and Halo is that 
Halo is a story and so it doesn't need to have these kind of right. macro systems going on because like you're there for a story, you know, you don't have to pay, pay attention to it, but like it leads to some amazing scenes mm. like, and, and a real sense of pace and things, you know, so midway and this ship, this battle on this spaceship, you watch as this cap, you know, if your own side's capital ship is destroyed and which means that you, you've kind of failed in your mission, you know, and, and that it, it somehow works despite it being, you know, you're, you're on the, the, the kind of like the, the ghost train, like there's nothing you could have done about it. Like, yeah, obviously it is. It's also one of the great, I don't want to spoil it because people will be playing it for the first time, but I think one of the great endings as well. Yeah, it is good. It is good. And like, and then there's just the incidental kind of AI stuff. Like, you know, obviously in, in Destiny, there is no AI other than kind of because, because the, the other players are your AI. And this mm. one, you've got those, this, this sense of kind of getting in your warthog and going on a ride with your AI friends. And like you go toot your horn and they come running towards them. So you zoom off a little bit and then they run after you, you stop and then they run after you and like, and you just play around with them and then you go off in a little jaunt, shoot some gribbers and they're all with you. And then one of them dies. You do a flip. Shit, you do a flip. It lands on their head and you think, fuck, what have I done? It's so good. Mm. It's like, yeah, it's really fun. Like, yeah, that AI is still. You know, it's goofy and it sort of sometimes doesn't behave, but it's a lot of fun to be around. Mm. Like a, like a, I was going to think, yeah, who, like a dog. Like, who is this? Like a dog. <laughs> <laughs> well, the abiding theory being that all the, the player characters in Destiny are all dogs because they're obsessed with balls of various kinds and will chase <laughs> and do and sit on anything. Um, then yeah, the AI in, in Halo is the dog. That's the, can you pet the dog in Halo? Yes. <laughs> They're all the dog. Uh, and you pet them with gun based space camaraderie. Yeah. That's, um, and yeah, like there have been some complaints about technical stuff on mm. it. Uh, I haven't really experienced them. Um, it is good and it's really nicely put together as well. So it has a new front end, like, mm. so you don't download reach so much. Well, when you, when you do download reach, but when you, uh, boot it up, you don't go into reach, you go into the master chief collection, mm. which is quite nice. And then you go into the campaigns and reaches in there and everything else is grayed out because it hasn't been released yet on steam. And that's, that's actually neat. It is neat. And it means all the multiplayer stuff, which I haven't touched yet, um, is all available in Paper one mission. I don't know, you know, how it's going to, what it's going to feel like in time. I don't know whether they're going to add like people, some people love Halo 3 multiplayer. Does that mean it will have its own area in this? I don't know. Mm. But, mm. um, yeah, it's, um, for old people, it's like Christmas. <laughs> it's like Christmas for a lot of people right now, Alex. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I will bounce off this into talking a little bit about Destiny. I don't, I was happy we talk about you Destiny. You've been playing the new, um, yeah. The so new- the new season launched this week. Um, I've had quite a, a big Destiny time lately. Um, uh, so there's, there's two, two experiences to relay. One is, um, I, uh, did the big, the big grind to get the season title. Um, did you, you, you yeah. made it? Yeah, I did. Fuck. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, Please, uh, send me your. So you got to level 100 in the. Oh, not just that. 
I got to like 115 or something Did on you? the no. thing, but no, but it, doing all the triumphs for the seasons. So. Oh yeah, no, I know that, that was, but I remember that one. Was a, some one. of them, and some of them were real rough, and there's some, you know, one thing about the new one is they fixed a lot of that stuff, which is good, but actually, the, 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 the grind itself was not the point. The, the point really was the sort of, um, the why of it, because I was definitely at a crossroads on Saturday, I think, where I was like, <laughs> I need to get over a particular hump with this if I'm going to do it, or I need to make my peace with not doing it. I was, uh, this is the one Did you have a sense that you could do it? Yeah, right. that was the that was the mistake. Don't get slightly in range of it because then you got the anxious decision to yeah, make. Yeah. It's you know, new season starts on Tuesday and I'm miles away is a, is a fair enough place to be in. I was close enough, so I think on Saturday last week I played something like 35 games of momentum control in a day. <laughs> um, I do love Destiny PvP, but that was a lot. Um, but I did it, and what was really interesting about it is I was I was only I think I was talking to someone about this that I was on this crossroads of like. I really committed hard to Shadowkeep when it came out and it was the right thing at the right time. And I've been had a lot of work stuff recently and it's just been the comfort food of games for me. And I know a lot of friends for whom it's this as well. I think almost everyone I know who's been like under a lot of work related or other stress this year has turned to destiny in, in within this orbit of my life. Mm-hmm. Like it is the perfect thing for that. Um, it's a brain switch off. But it well, is just an, enough brain switch on for it to be Yeah, it's, 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 it's meaning it is a game in its own right. Yeah. You know, it has plenty of stuff going on. Um, but it's also, uh, you know, and it's aesthetically pleasing mm. and there's lots of things I like about it. Um, you know, I, I feel rewarded by it consistently, but there is an element of this is like, and so I was sitting on the weekend thinking like, to what extent is this the output of a certain kind of, uh, madness, you know, or not madness that's loaded, but you know, like a momentary sort of like, I need this right now, but I'm never going to need this again. So I don't need to rush this title. Right. And, but in doing it and, and doing the thing I like about grinding in games, which is figuring out the how of it and plotting that, you know, it's part of my brain that will always be a project manager and just doing a managing a project makes me happy. And so getting that thing over the line was really satisfying. Obviously lots of people get the title, you know, it's fine, but that was that was fun and actually it sort of exposed me to all of destiny systems in a really interesting way and um made me more enthusiastic for it not less and it made me feel the way i did actually at the end of destiny one where i sort of um i you know the, i did it actually with a little bit of time to go so i spent a bit of time on my lunch break i think on tuesday cleaning up the vault looking through my weapons because weapons can roll with different perks you know finding the good ones binning the ones that i just kept to check later hoovering up my resources, figuring out what shader combination I want to use in the season. Just all this little housekeeping, dress-up stuff. Having my character set at, like, this is what I look like at the end of the season of The Undying. Then season screenshot. of Dawn, screenshot, tie a bow on it, and then excited for the new thing. And that was actually a really nice feeling, and I will always defend that pursuit of a feeling. Because some games are very I think good. that if, if the feeling you have the day afterwards is positive, then... I think that it's fine. It's yeah. like, I think that you can feel immediately sort of what have I empty. Done? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, yes. And that was, and that was good. And then the new ones come out and, and so far it seems really, it seems the, the, uh, the sort of the, so they're not doing the expansions they were previously doing. So it's not like tons of new, new stuff in terms of locations. There's like a big new activity and lots of new gear and some quite substantial design changes. But like substantially if you're a Destiny nerd, so I don't necessarily want to bombard the podcast with them. But one thing they are doing is they are getting more playful with perks mm. in a way that has started to bring in a bit of that moment to moment sort of change of plan stuff. Not You made me think of it when we talk about Halo, like not to anyone near the same extent, but like 
uh, each season has its exotic that you get basically at the start of the season if you have a season pass. Oh, okay. So in the previous season, it was a hand cannon called Ariana's Vow, which, Lovely is, hand cannon. which is basically a sniper rifle. Yeah. And it's, but its trick is it's a sniper rifle, really. Uh, it just happens to be a hand cannon. Um, the new one is a scout rifle called Symmetry, mm. um, which has a real weird mechanic, which, I mean, there's a lot of weird, gun, weird exotics in Destiny, but it's definitely one of the weirder ones where it is a high rate of fire scout rifle. As you kill, uh, enemies, it gets this stacking buff, um, like a charge. It's an arc weapon, so it charges with electricity, basically. Stacking buff, it doesn't do anything. It just t- charges up to 15. Um, and then at any time you can hold the reload key rather than if you tap reload, you just reload the gun. If you hold reload key, um, you charge it with all this energy and then it becomes a kind of homing seeking grenade launcher, hmm. which fires these sort of the weird projectiles. They're like, sort of little darts that blow up with electricity that sort of seek out enemies to an extent. But also if you fire them sort of without an obvious target, they have really severe bullet drops. So they act almost like a little artillery weapon, but it gives you this sort of sudden, like, like short range electric hose thing. And trying to figure out how to use it effectively is really weird, but it's actually surprisingly. It sounds fun. a little bit of relation, I mean, a little bit related to that, uh, scout rifle where I can't remember what it's called. It's a solar one. Where you get three headshots and you see little three lights light up. Oh yeah. And on the third, on, after the third one, you get to fire a very powerful explosive sort of solar blast. Yeah. It's got a little bit of that to it, but it sort of adds this element of yeah. like, what's interesting about it is you get into your rhythm in Destiny and this gun asks you to add a different element to that rhythm, which is watch this buff when it's charged, find a good opportunity to switch into its charge mode yeah. and then use it, which just feels really different. It's almost like a weapon type that doesn't exist. Um, the other thing that I thought was cool is they've added a, I got a really, really good roll on a gun like the first gun I got, which is, means that I, I, my, my, my yields will be barren for the coming season. <laughs> but it's got this new perk, um, which, uh, so Destiny has elemental damage types, but one thing it doesn't have, which Destiny 1 had, is the ability to have an element in every slot. You know, that's, that caused balance issues in Destiny 1 with what were called elemental primaries at the time. Um, and they've never really revisited that until now so now there are these kinetic weapons as in the default damage type which um have a perk which means if you throw a grenade they gain the element of your subclass so your grenade type while your grenade is out no until you stow them and draw it until you swap weapons okay so it's kind of interesting because it's like so i now i have a sidearm so the, the little pistols that can become any element that i want it to be um for the duration that i have it out which is a really strange mechanic, but I actually did manage to use it effectively earlier, which was running around headshotting normal ads with my little hand cannon and then seeing a wizard that had a solar shield, throwing a grenade into a different group of enemies to turn it into a solar weapon and then killing the wizard without having to kind of break my, my little combo, which was super cool. And it was like, then I had had a mission that needed to farm some solar kills. So I had three solar weapons, which I'd never be able to do normally. And it was like, Yeah, it's a nice little kind of extra involvement-y things, yeah. Uh, I also want to give a shout-out while we're talking about it. We can wrap up talking about it to... um, It also obviously moves the storyline forward, um, as it ever does, Destiny. But but one thing I've realized, and I was thinking about this while waiting for the kettle to boil today, Destiny has two stories that it does in most expansions. The two stories in Destiny are... A skeleton's uncle knows what you did... (laughs) And he's come around to tell your dad about it. Yeah. And, and the other one is, oh, Christ, I've left the time machine on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Right. Those are the two. <laughs> There's a few. Ex- I was struggling to reconcile every expansion with those two, but a surprising amount of them work. <laughs> so the last one was Skeleton Uncle's Garden. Well, the next, last one was interesting. It was both. It was. Skeleton it? Uncle, in this case, as Pyramid from yeah. Dark Side of the Moon or whatever the fuck. Yeah. Skeleton Uncle. There's also a big skeleton. But then also aunt. there's the, the yeah, the, the, the but then there's a side story of the, of the skeleton's of aunt. Yeah. yeah. But the Vex side of it was, oh Christ, I've left the time machine yeah. on. Um, uh, you know, Destiny 1 was very much, oh Christ, I've left the time machine on. Uh, uh, the first expansion, Crota's End, was Skeleton's Uncle. Uh, third expansion, House of Wolves, was, oh Christ, I've left the time machine on. Uh, then Forsaken King, sorry, Taken King was Skeleton's Uncle. Then, uh, Rise of Iron is one of the ones that's hard to reconcile, but I would put it in the Oh Christ Left the Time Machine on, um, because it's all about finding out that Granddad still got it. Um, then that's maybe the third archetype. Yeah, actually, yeah, the, 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 the rare Granddad third version is it. that Granddad still got it. Um, so, so yeah, Rise of Iron, Granddad still got it. The Iron Lords are coming back. Destiny 2 is actually, uh, in its base game, Grandad still got it because the traveler at the end finally fucking does something. <laughs> Grandad, in this case, the big space egg has still got it. Um, uh, Curse of Osiris. Oh Christ, I've left the time machine yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Very literally. Safe, yeah. Uh, safe. Um, Warmind. Grandad still got it. Grandad, in this case, being the ancient war AI Rasputin. Yeah, uh, that's it, true. Because yeah. I was going to say, oh, maybe that's uh, left the. Left it's also actually no. It's also skeleton's uncle because you fight a skeleton's uncle who happens to be a big snake. Yeah. Yes. You, it's space worm. Yeah. Yeah. It it, yeah. But he's a skeleton's uncle. Yeah. They're all skeleton's okay. uncle at the end of the day. Um, the um, and then and that brings us around to Forsaken, um, which Ooh, is that's a tricky one. The reason it might be it's the reason it's the pinnacle of destiny. No. It, well, no. It's not fucking not. It's not. It ends with an environment that's trapped in a time loop. It's oh Christ. I've left the time machine on again. Yeah. It's, but it's, it's one but of it's the best also, Destiny Gr- stories. Granddad still got it. Uh, is it? Well, I suppose he dies, doesn't he? Yeah, exactly. He doesn't. <laughs> Granddad doesn't have it. No, actually, I think this is one of the reasons Forsaken, it might be the peak of the whole series is because, um, it manages to hide its, which of the three it is until <laughs> right at the end when it turns out. And actually at the heart of the Dreaming City, which is trapped in a time loop, is another skeleton's uncle. So. <laughs> at the end of the day, it's always going to come back to that. And then after that was, well, after that, it was the seasons, uh, but Black Armory, fundamentally, oh, Granddad yeah. still got it. Um, season of the Drifter, also, to some extent, Granddad still got it. Little bit, oh, Christ, I left the time machine yeah, on. Yeah, it's quite a bit. Actually, I'd say half and half. Yeah, half and half. Um, season of Opulence, all about Emperor Callus, very much Granddad still got it. Uh, and that leads us up to Shadowkeep, which is, well, Shadowkeep combined with Season of the Undying was one for one, an equal match of um of skeleton's uncle and oh christ i've left the time machine on uh you'll be pleased to know to bring us up to the present season of dawn is a hundred percent actually no it's a combo of granddad still got it and oh christ i've left the time machine on. well i thought it was oh christ got because it's about Mer- mercury man's gone and pissed it up again yeah it's about mercury man's magic washing machine <laughs> which you have to use to to go backwards and forwards in time to stop some turtle space marines from confirming that your granddad did indeed still have it. <laughs> I love this fucking game. Oh man, I didn't realise there was so much destiny. There's been a lot. There's been a lot of destiny. It's been like five years now. Oh yeah, I know. Wow. Fuck me. I know. It's good to go to de- the Mercury. Mercury has fa- felt 
very backwatery for a long time. Like nothing yeah. interesting or important has happened there for fucking ages. It's good that it's good. That it's- yeah, it was like where they hosted the Halloween sort of event. That was basically all it was for. Yeah, yeah. Man, I remember how exciting that was the first time we went there in Destiny One, yeah. where it's like the hidden planet. Yeah. Now look at it. How far we've come. <laughs> Forward in time, backwards in time, medium in time. <laughs> Out of time. Skeleton's uncle, skeleton's aunt, yeah. skeleton's granddad, skeleton's dad, skeleton's, skeleton's son, dad. skeleton's daughter. <laughs> all of them, the whole family. I think that you're, all of those skeletons and relatives have literally been in the game. There's a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's going to be a, a, a decent number of people who either stop listening at this point. Mm, or, I was wondering, I was wondering. Or um, have finally, for the first time, understood why Destiny is so good. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks and sorry. Shall we do, do some, some questions, questions from, from shit questions? From shit questions. From shit, no, they're good questions. Good questions. They're always good questions. Yeah. So I thought we were going to be completely in sync. We just weren't at all. No. Well, I I, I did throw a spanner in the works because of my puckish uh, personality. You always do that. It's the only thing that's for, as far as I can tell. I live for your look of indignation as I throw <laughs> a spanner in your work. Thing is, uh, I live with Pip. So your spanners are insignificant They're nothing. to me. God like, damn it. I, I thought I was meaningful to I, you. I've been, I've been trained on spanners you couldn't believe. <laughs> I, I've, I've, I've seen spanners ricochet off sea beams off the shoulder of Orion. I've <laughs> spanners glitter in the dark. It's like the Tannhauser gate. All of these things I was hoping to achieve lost <laughs> in time. Yeah, no, it's nothing to me, Alex. It's nothing. Shit, yeah, all you're seeing on my face is the sort of learned reaction to, I guess this is happening. This is just a thing that I... Yeah, uh, I, yeah I control nothing. Um, the uh, This question mm-hmm. that has been written mm-hmm. to us mm-hmm. has been written to us by uh, Clement, who writes, Dear quick save and, oh no, I meant quick load. Oh God, what have I done? Worst quick save? Question mark. <laughs> Mine involved a snowy level in Call of Duty 2, the expert difficulty mode, one health point, and a recently thrown grenade. Believe it or not, I got out of it. I had enough spare time for that kind of challenge back then. Sadly, my keyboard was never the same after that taxing afternoon. Uh, thank you for consistently brightening up my daily commute with the mildest takes. Mm. Happy to be pleasuring those journeys. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> I do. I think I, I Call of Duty 2, that is one of my big, uh, quick save memories. Like, mm. just because, yeah, I remember levels on that that I was on for a very long time, but I don't have any specific memory. I'm struggling to remember one where I, whatever game it was, it allowed you to save on the cusp of death. Like it was just after like the, the, the screen had blanked out, <laughs> but presumably the game was still logically running and mm. therefore accepted the quick save. That was painful. Um, but like that was, I can't remember what game it was and I haven't had a quick save drama for ages, but I do have like a continual quick save, quick load, load kind of, uh, uh, anxiety. Mm. Will I press the right button? Mm. Uh, because I often do fuck it up, but in kind of boring, kind of like, oh, fucking hell, ways. Mm. But like the anxiety is very, very strong. I usually play on controllers as well. So I'm usually having to reach over to the keyboard to do it. And 
my fingers are inexact at the best of times, but especially if I'm not even that the other is on the keyboard. I've always thought that about you. Yeah. <laughs> I was really type. I was trying to type today, and I was just how how have I chosen a job that relies on me <laughs> pressing accurately buttons? Pressing accurately the buttons. Yeah, that was, I think that's grammatically correct. Mm. Press to accurately the button. <laughs> Done the writer. <laughs> uh, I so I don't recall a real quick save i'm sure maybe there have been i think my version of this is i think about it a lot when to quick save it's basically an extra game mechanic so if it's present i'm thinking about it all the time trying not to fuck it up a decent track record with not fucking it up but this leads to a level of um management of the experience that i think maybe has caused just an like Let's every time you save and you store data and data needs to be loaded, presumably that costs the earth something, mm. you know, there must be a cost mm. just to it somewhere. Wearing the gears inside. Oh, it brought more just electricity yeah. consumed for no reason, which is a, that is a big old stone to throw just in this glass house, but atoms. Yeah. Some, some entropic weight to this thing I have done, but nonetheless, I've got, you know, any given hard drive I have has, detailed saves because i tend not to quick save i tend to like the old you know the chunky non-temporary saves as well like leaving the house today i save my uh phoenix point campaign i had the option to overwrite my existing save or save in a new slot i've only got one save i saved in a new slot i am never i'm going to say it right now i am never in my life going back to reasonably successful hours to see if i could relive those two reasonably successful hours i will happily replay a new campaign i will go through it again that served no purpose except to satisfy a part of my brain that really would like to have both you know what i mean like i could sacrifice a little bit of hard drive space and would have the option should i ever need it to go back to turn four of a total war campaign i never finished (laughs) like i have all of this and i don't know if the the data the space on my hard drive that it takes up is ultimately meaningful but like if the universe does run on information as a kind of simulation, then I have fed garbage into this system. I mean, I've been feeding garbage into that system for, for years, but like, you know, like I'm adding to some stock of what the universe needs to remember. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is, it's obviously taking up some kind of physical space. Yes, it is. Like it, it must have weight. We can't live in, you know, like <laughs> it, it, it's got to be, you know, it's either totally meaningless in which case. It's, a, you know, like, how do I differentiate my own time then from... It's probably going to be the one surviving artifact of your existence. I think maybe that is the concern. It's like, you'll create a certain number of... This is getting... I've had a beer and a half, you can tell. Um, the You're going to create a certain number of things in your life, right? And molecularly or otherwise, they're going to decay in different orders. Something will be the last remnant of you on Earth or in the cosmos. Yeah. And I suspect the last last remnant of me will be... Turn to Total War, never to be returned to. Yeah, Total War, you know, Medieval 2. Turn to Holy Roman Empire, didn't get on with it, re-rolled. You know? And it'll be like, that was the last object I interacted with. What can we tell about this person from this save? There'll be a... There'll be... There'll be enormous amounts of academic research into I mean, how to interpret these say, game saves. You're absolutely right that this only really has value as a as a comment if if these things are indeed observed. I don't really think they will be. It's something about the knowledge that eventually they will be annihilated, uh, and and the really the last thing of mine that is annihilated is the last thing to go. This is in some ways the slowest save. <laughs> 
you know i like that you've taken this quick save disaster uh question into the true disaster i think i could probably i don't know it's just these beers but it's i think i could beers. probably get any of these questions back to existential dread oh, if we God, try hard enough i didn't realize i've got brew dog and we <laughs> exactly <laughs> I think I think a lot of people are experiencing a certain amount of brewdog on we. I think there's I think we've done um I, I, I you know, I do not mind these functional ales when they show up for, for four pound Don Le Co op, but Marsh hates them, so I feel like we're we're committing a kind of a quiet crime here by <laughs> drinking a, a box of of this. I think we'll in should, his we house. should artfully um arrange the cans and box in the middle of the room where we can't i should we should probably note that the marsh very 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 kindly left us a bottle of um of whiskey uh with a wonderfully uh wonderful message on it saying drink me definitely not poisoned uh which we haven't touched because we decided to have these depressing beers instead yeah exactly yeah well i mean to be honest i think the existential dread is only going to go in a different place with the whiskey poisoned or not um uh, a kind gesture, but didn't want to get hammered. Just get spooky. Um, hopefully that answers that question. Did you have anything to add on the quick topic of saves? I've, I've, we've saved out. Saved it. Uh, let's see. Uh, I, I never know how to pronounce this. Velike, Velik, uh, from Discord writes, Hello, Weatherwaxes and Gandalfs. Let's talk about wizards. Mm. Mm. As we all know, adding wizards to games immediately makes them more appealing. For example, Departed, uh, Tom F's, uh, he's not dead. He's in Canada. Um, he has literally departed. Like he has, is, yeah, but you know, normally like, you know. Yeah, dear departed. Yeah, exactly. Uh, departed Tom F's upcoming tactical breach wizards. Another example would be the Magic Circle, which I still haven't played the full game of because I strongly believe that it should actually be about wizards rather than being about game designers. <laughs> That's a good line. Um, my theory about wizards, go on, is that they add a fun layer of unreality to a situation. This could make otherwise possibly troubling situations into enjoyable ones. For example, police with weapons busting into houses, SWAT style. Or it can add a layer... Uh, of remove to otherwise on the nose characters or metaphors. Of course, I've probably played neither of the games I'm using as examples, so this could all be total nonsense. <laughs> so why are wizards good anyway? And what games could be improved by keeping the same situation, but my making everyone wizards? Thanks for reading everybody. So the answer, the obvious answer is every, all of them, but, uh, I think this could be a long one, but I think wizards are good. Part one. Uh, <laughs> I think all games, see if you go with me on this one, Alex. I think all games are better when you give them a certain amount of benefit of the doubt. I think particularly as game critics, it can be easy to fill things into genres, write things off, uh, whether that's from fiction or a mechanical standpoint or both. Or the makers. Well, you know, yeah. you know, or who's made them or, yeah. or what's in them. I think, um, if you put a wizard in something, there are some contexts where this wouldn't work quite so well. Um, but actually wizard specifically is very important. If you try and, um, you know, if you try and, uh, zhuzh it up a bit by having a mage or a thaumaturge or a sorcerer, um, you've entered the territory of law. Mm. Wizards, wizards live slightly detached from law. Wizard is a fundamentally silly word because, um, it's, you know, it's big pointy hat. It's Harry Potter. It's something 50s schoolboys say. It's, you know, it's in this. It's totally unfocused as well. Like, yeah. you know, a thaumaturg, like, as you said, like a thaumaturg mm. does whatever they do. Yeah. And um, whereas a wizard 
it's just what well, do they do magic magic yeah, it's it's a well it's an entity it's like a genie it's like a yeah. it's a presence but even those things have some load it's it's strangely un baggaged with meaning fucking anything but in some ways it's very significant there's a i watched um for some reason uh, i watched a star wars a new hope this morning at 7 a.m oh i've having a long day this is, this is going on is it yeah um yeah hang we, on how why are you only there i know we had to miss some days so we've got it. I'm, I'm going, I'm getting up at the reason I didn't want to drink the whiskey is because I get up at six in the morning You're tomorrow doing to go one watch tomorrow. Empire Strikes Back. And then on Friday, I'm getting up early to go watch. I'm, I'm going to, tomorrow, I'm going to go watch Empire Strikes Back. I'm going to go to the polling station. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to come home. I'm going to work all before 10. <laughs> um, and my life makes sense. Shut up. Uh, the, <laughs> the, um, the, um, anyway, so I was watching it and there's a great line, I think, and it always sticks out. There's a lot of things I love about that film, but there's a line that always sticks out to me, which is when Uncle Owen says the phrase, that old wizard's just a crazy old man. And I always think about reversing it. That old man's just a crazy old wizard. And it works both ways. It sort of enters this sort of meaning cycle where like, you know, it's just like, yeah, it's, 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 it, and it, the, the heart of that is the word wizard. And I think, the way I was going to say, and I talked about Star Wars for some reason, is <laughs> that <laughs> when you add a wizard, you immediately have to sit up and go, I don't know what this is anymore. And you have to extend it the benefit of the doubt somewhat. Yeah. You have to, you have to go with it wherever it's going. When Destiny said that wizard came from the moon yeah, and everyone is. laughed at it. But it was very wrong. important. It's very important. It's, it's, I think it's the very soul of the game. Yeah. I think it is, it's like, it detaches tone to some extent, because wizards are funny. Like, it, it doesn't make it, it doesn't make it, what I mean is, it makes a lot of things uncertain. Things are mechanically possible yeah. when yeah. wizards exist. Yeah. Suddenly tone is not set. Is this serious wizard town? As it's got a lightly camp element to it. Yeah. I think that, yeah. I think that's a, I think it's a very good point, because I agree that um the wizards... The, you know, they are, when you say wizard, you don't know what kind of wizard they are. It could be a young wizard. It could be a frail wizard. It could be a frail wizard with great power. Mm. It could be a young wizard with terrible powers. It, mm. They are the archetypes for all of these things. What kind of wizard is going to be? Suddenly it's on the game, the story, to set the wizard, to mm. define the wizard. And it's going to be a different wizard, whichever wizarding game it's in. Right. And that's, that instantly, when you hear wizard, you go, ho oh, ho, we're in for something here. What, mm. where is it going to take us? It could be anything. Right. It's like this, this idea has existed throughout history, right? In fiction, right? Like you put fairies in something historically, you know, that this is going, sorry, in a particular direction. It sets, these things can destabilize expectations about genre, which is really exciting and fun. It's sort of the trickster element. The thing, the interesting relationship that has with games is games are all about defining what's possible in an environment. And because really anything is, that's, you know, it's about taking away possibility more than anything else when you yeah. define game design. Yeah. And so, um, when you add a wizard, obviously, as you just said, you have to define what the wizard can do, but it creates this sort of little bit of wiggle room where things yeah. don't have to make total sense. If you add one wizard to Call of Duty, <laughs> lots of stuff just starts to fall into place ah, suddenly well this is a game now the do you know what it is the one thing Tom? is that uh i think i think we have to talk about mistreatment of wizards mm. because i think that wizards generally simply become an object for making projectiles 
Which is basically mm. meaning that your wizard is a gun. The issue of fantasy gun. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that wizards should be more than that. I think that it misrepresents them. Right. Yeah. So yes, you're, you're absolutely right. Because fundamentally magic is about rewriting the rules of the world. Mm-hmm. You know, this is both how magic tends to work in, in fiction that treats it as something other than fireballs and, and, and stuff. But it's also, uh, how, you know, to, to a greater or lesser extent, how real, uh, magical theory works, right? Like, you know, the creation and destruction of sigils is a functionally batch files for reality, whether they work or not is down to the individual's perception of, of whether they work or not. Um, but like, um, the, there's something that games, you know, I, I think you're right. Boiling that down to gun, but it's just my outstretched hand and a laser's coming out of it. It doesn't get to the heart of it. A good wizard in a game makes you want to break rules and kind of question what you yeah. do. Your life. Yeah. <laughs> like a cool teen, cool teen wizards. Um, I am, um, I was just thinking about, um, Diablo, I was talking about Diablo three because mm. it's more, most, is there any functional difference between its wizard and its witch finder, witch hunter, witch hunter, demon hunter, demon hunter, mm. both ranged, both fragile, I guess the demon hunter is a bit more mobile. Demon hunter is a lot more mobile. Yeah, more yeah. acrobatic. So there's what there's a difference, but like, you don't have to be. And where's the the wizarding? It's like a it's a placeholder wizard. Yeah, I would agree. That's a good example of when it's it's literally a wizard, but it's a wizard that is fully in their own territory. Yeah, like you get, okay, what does wizards do? Well, they do the elements: wizard, wizardy fire, wizardy electricity, wizardy mm. water. Yeah, right. Everyone in Diablo is a wizard, really. Yeah. And not at the same time. Yeah, yeah. When everyone's a wizard, no one's a wizard. Yeah. That's, that's it. Yeah. But yeah, they've got a class called the wizard. Exactly. See, that is a bad, that, that's bad wizard. They really should have just reached, reached for the cop out button and called it a thaumaturge. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then you're already in purgatory. So yeah, exactly. Know. Yeah. But, but so are we all, you know, that's the point. Like we all live there. We, we, no one of us, none of us can be the wizard. That's the point. You can't be the wizard. You can only live in the wizard's presence and understand the possibilities that arise from the idea of the wizard. Yeah. Yeah. The truth of the wizard will always evade you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's the wizard. And that Not is why we use the pinball wizard, <laughs> which is just someone who's very good at pinball. <laughs> as I understand it. The pinball for verge. <laughs> Foosball warlock. (laughs) (laughs) As for games that kind of can be improved, I was actually, I was racking my mind because I I thought, oh yeah, a military ship. Tom's actually managed to completely fucking corner. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the the incongruous wizard's positioning Mm. uh, thing because he's done, he's now done a tactical sort of military thing with Mm. wizards. And that is the one genre where wizards are the most welcome. It is, yeah. But, well, because there's, and, well, it's and also, it, already. They, they fit perfectly because they're not there. And, but that, but fundamentally those are stories about societies of bearded men who solve <laughs> the world's problems through a mixture of righteous belief that they're right. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, sort of in the case of the video games, kind of magical luck, you know? Um, see, I was about to say that, like, 
you know, you sort of, you put wizard into cod, which we've come up, I've said cod quite a few times mm. in this episode. Anyway, uh, you put wizard into cod, you know, like, that wizard's going to fuck cod up. But then I thought, actually, hang on, no, because cod is constantly putting wizards, wizards by any other name, mm. i.e. made up military technology. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Clancy's wizard is what that's called. Yeah. Like Occam's so, razor. <laughs> so Clancy doesn't have the balls to put some fucking proper wizards you heard into me. his game. <laughs> Right. Well, yeah. What is, what is, um, yeah. An EMP is just a magical spell. It's just, yeah. It's just a magical spell. Yeah. Like when, when, uh, the, 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 the North Koreans have stolen, uh, a drone network yeah, that yeah. will assassinate all the politicians. It's, it's a like death having curse. a fucking, the, yeah, yeah. It's seeing your eye, the world through the eyes of your pet wizard, uh, pet, pet eagle. Yeah. Exactly. Which is literally something they did in Assassin's Creed where they took all the drone stuff from <laughs> Ghost Recon and put it in Assassin's Creed, but it's a bird now. If I was a wizard, I'd feel fucking shortchanged. I'd be thinking, these games are doing wizarding stuff, but not calling it wizard- wizarding because, mm. because they know that they've got to pay us a licensing fee and, uh, they're weaseling their way out of it. Are they like DMCA takedowns for wizardry? <laughs> Is a DMCA takedown a magical spell? Because it removes, it removes Disney things from the, the most world. powerful yeah, vanishing, yeah. of all of the DMCA. I've seen Fantasia. Well, yeah, I think that's been very. Um, I think, yeah. Wow. The uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's really the ultimate magic. Money. <laughs> uh, uh, our last question, because we, there are only the two of us, so we, just don't, have, we don't have many answers um, in this. It comes from Veer Serif, who writes, Dear Craig and Crowbar, have you ever received or given quote unquote advice for games that you wish you'd never heard, either for a specific game or for gaming as a whole? An example that comes to mind is, oh, you could fix that with a mod for any Elder Scrolls game, causing me to lose multiple weekends over the years to modding and remodding Skyrim, and also forever ruining my ability to play without a park in my brain going, that sunset looks wonky. Time to check which of my seven lighting and or weather affecting mods is responsible. Beware the monkey's paw, via Serif. <laughs> I think all poison, I think, I think all, um, advice for games is kind of poisonous mm. because it introduces you're kind of meant to be learning for yourself because that is what the fun thing is. So yeah. as soon as somebody tells you what, to, like for, you know, the very basic example of that is the fucking game guide where a game can look terribly mm. uh, stressful when you see it as a list of things to do. Do you know what the opposite of a wizard is? Advice. <laughs> right? Go on. Because you see a wizard in a game, and as I say, it's this de- destabilizing in- influence. It, it sets your mind free to imagine the possibilities of where the game might be taking you. Not all the time, but sometimes. Um, like Willy Wonka style, leading you into the chocolate factory. Advice is just saying like, don't eat too much or you'll be murdered, which is the truth. <laughs> like the truth of the chocolate factory. It's going to spoil that moment for you, you know? And then whoever wins the fucking chocolate factory is going to become rote arbitrary dead feeling you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. the ambiguity is is the magic of it really isn't it you were saying sorry I... it's about a journey 
Yeah, it is about the journey, not the destination. And if a lot of children are murdered in a chocolate factory along the way, that's just apparently how passing a business along works. <laughs> I don't know. I don't make the rules. <laughs> you really wanted to go into Willy Wonka's factory when you were a boy. I you? was terrified. I saw that film far too young. <laughs> and I it actually, I think might have been among one of the first films I ever saw. Yeah. It wasn't the first film I saw in the cinema. It was the Jungle Book. Uh-huh. That terrified me. <laughs> But no, I saw, I remember because I, I remember watching it in a house that we left when I was four. So I was really young Ooh, and it, yeah. it freaked me the fuck out. It still, it still bothers me that film. I, I drowning in chocolate. I didn't, I don't want it. It's a big no thank you from, from me for that particular wizard. Um, chocolate, chocolate thurge. Yeah. Well, I think it's because it, it, it breaks the, um, one of the promises of the presence of a wizard, which is that you're in, you're on an adventure with the wizard. And they're kind of, they're here to furnish your experience. The problem with Willy Wonka, and I can't believe I'm getting onto this, is that it's the first half of that, but it turns out it's a test. That feels like a bit of a trap. At that point, you're not really a wizard anymore. You're a cop. Yeah. See, I see him as more of a mage, the mage in the castle, you know, as opposed to the, the wizard along for the journey. And the, the, the old, yeah, it's not the classic hero's journey, isn't yeah. it? All the other children perished in it. <laughs> yeah. So, so I won. <laughs> De facto won. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> By default owner of <laughs> chocolate factory. <laughs> Joseph Campbell didn't write that down, did he? It's not how Star Wars ends. <laughs> Luke gets picked to leave Tatooine because everyone else in Tatooine gets set on fire. <laughs> By Obi-Wan. <laughs> Actually, that occurred to me this morning. It's very suspicious that Obi-Wan's like, come to Alderaan, looks like no. And then he's like, well, you stay here and set these Jawas on five, 15 minutes. I've got to go do something. What? Never mind. And then, oh, Uncle Owen, Aunt Baruch been set on fire. Guess he's got to go to Alderaan now. Oh, who did it? Who did it? Would it be the guy that we last saw him in the great film Revenge of the Sith, just letting his best friend slowly slide into a volcano? That guy? Mm. No prior relationship with fire? It's questionable. Bad it's wizard. Very questionable. Naughty wizard. No, he's a good wizard, and I take it all back. What were we talking about? Um, advice. Uh, advice. So I would say I really don't like being. So I, I, I'm again struggling to think about a specific example, but I really don't like it when um, I am talking to a. And this is often completely benign, as well as advice is. If I'm playing through a big RPG or something, and I have managed to overcome the big town problem to the extent that I can. I'm a couple of acts in or whatever. And I got my stuff and my gear and someone says, Oh, did mm. you recruit the, 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 the gnome pirate in act two? And I was like, I'm like, mm, no, that's a good one. No. Mm. And I'm like, Oh, it's great. And I'm like, fuck, this is garbage now. Yeah. I, yeah. This, even if I love the game, this is a hateful, it's a hateful experience because this dream gnome that I can never have has been taken from me yeah. by me. And now the shame of that will haunt me. So really, in order to get through Act 4, you need to have uh, got the sword of um, Damocles mm. from uh, Act 2. Uh, that does require finding the uh, the dungeon of Ariadne. It does. And you just think... Ah, oh, oh, fuck it. Yeah. Oh, no. it's, it's retroactive big town. It's like I didn't realise the town was so big. Yeah. It's <laughs> I've just come to terms with the bigness of the town. Yeah. And you're telling me the town is bigger? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> The town is bigger and I have left. <laughs> yeah. Do I have to go back to Big Town? You can't go back to Big Town. 
Like this is it is the it is the mid RPG campaign equivalent of a midlife crisis. <laughs> it is the letter from a childhood sweetheart saying, "Why didn't we ever get together?" And you're like, "I don't know." It comes at that part at the time in the game as well, where you know what you're doing. And yeah, like, you know, you're on the journey now. You're married like, to this fucking cleric you met in Act Three. <laughs> you're making commitments now, and now, oh god, it could all be so much different. What would it have if been like? Only. <laughs> We can sack it off. Sack it all off. It's too late. It's too late. You chose your subclass. <laughs> you didn't realise you could dual class, I don't know, rogue and mystic archer. You mean you didn't get that skill? You need the skill. It's just the game isn't fun without that skill. You'll never play it again. Yeah. Because of time. <laughs> But if you try and change it now, you're just going to feel weird. Oh, this is this brew dog. And then you, again. then it, then it, yeah, man, the existential brew dog. Then you, <laughs> then you get into the situation that Vierceref describes where you think, oh, get a mod, get a trainer, <laughs> modify that save file, teleport that gnome pirate or whatever into you your campaign. But and then, you're like, but you're like, I have no relationship with you. You've just appeared in my life and I feel a kind of shame, but I feel like I can't go back to my party of, of other NPC adventurers because they know what I've done. They look at you. Yeah, exactly. That's the stain of it. Oh. oh no! Who the? F- Why do we play games? Uh, well, because there are wizards in them sometimes. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is it. Using getting, getting falling down that mod hole of like I can fix this if I only I oh download the right software. That's that's the dark magic. That's that's you know that's warlockery. That's hacks. You know, like that's that's. That's into the sort of, what have I done at a school of doomed mage, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. Like, alone in your tower. Um, <laughs> Self-destructively, kind of <clears throat> obsessively. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Saving and resaving points in time. Creating an endless library of moments, <laughs> pointless moments that only you understand. And like a mental map of your own kind of total war psychosphere that is meaningless (laughs) landscape of moments because control is an illusion because control is a complete lie and the only you know the true joy comes from accepting that a wizard is someone else and you are not them and occasionally your life will maybe the the wizard will will take you by the hand yeah and and give you you a chocolate factory (laughs) (laughs) or maybe they'll just leave And that's okay too. <laughs> the Russians have got an EMP. <laughs> and you've got a job to do. Ah, <laughs> oh, oh. I can't believe that, uh, that Twin Peaks VR game is real good. <laughs> yeah. It's all wizards. Yeah, it's all wizards. It's just wizards. <sighs> well. That's, um, Whatever that was, that's all of it we have in us. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but it, it's all gone into me. This can is now empty. Uh, if you'd like to send us a question for a future episode of The Crate and Crowbar. We may talk about wizards during it. We might, we will do. Uh, you can do so by emailing us at questions at crateandcrowbar.com or tweeting us at Crate and Crowbar. Please bear in mind um, that the next episode of the podcast, which may go up slightly late because it's a big thing to schedule, um, will be the Christmas episode, the wrap up of the year, uh, which, uh, all being well, will involve all six of us. Mm-hmm. Um, Tom's back. Uh, cause Tom, yeah, actually that's a good point. Tom Francis is, uh, back for Christmas to visit. So a holiday uh, for him, a holiday for him from his new home in Canada. 
Um, so, uh, he will join us. And so we're not sure exactly when we're going to schedule it, but we'll be doing that one, which means there won't be any questions section in the next episode because it's going to be a, its own thing. Um, so you'll get to questions in the new year. Uh, if you would like to, uh, join the Discord community, link for that is in the show notes and on the website at creatingcrowbar.com. Uh, you can find our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash creatingcrowbar. And thank you, uh, to our Patreon subscribers and backers. Uh, done another year of this nonsense. Uh, and that is largely, well, entirely because, uh, you support. support. Yeah. So thank you very much. Uh, if you would like to follow myself or Alex as individuals on Twitter, you can find me at C Thurston. That's C T H U R S T N E N. Alex. And I am at rotational. R O T A T I O N O A O I O N O A O A. Thanks for listening, everybody. Everybody.